Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty is here, and the question on the table is, has Cyberpunk been redeemed? I actually have new info about the 2.0 update as well as the Phantom Liberty expansion. This was info that we did not have in our previous research and coverage, and it will help both new and returning players jump in and enjoy both the expansion as well as the updates that come with 2.0. More than that, I want to discuss what redemption looks like for a game like cyberpunk what 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 would we call a redemption arc or a com- sort of completed redemption arc for a game like this there is disagreement about just how far this game has come some feel that they will never ever get the game that they were promised while others feel the opposite and they claim that this game has always been good and now it's truly the game that was meant to be delivered to us now I put all of the good information right here at the beginning so you don't have to go searching for it it's a longer video because it's a live stream discussion but I open it with a monologue so if you like this kind of content do me a favor hit the subscribe button and the bell button so you don't miss out on my content Now that Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty is out, the question is, has it redeemed the franchise? The reviews seem to indicate that it has, and we even have new info about how quickly you can experience the Phantom Liberty expansion. Beyond just that and what the reviews have said about the DLC, the 2.0 update has been highly praised. But was it enough to complete the game's redemption arc? Which is basically asking, did we finally get the game that we were promised all those years ago. So first, I want to look at the 2.0 update. It's been praised significantly, but sadly it remains untested by a lot of us. We were encouraged to start over in the game. Players like myself were met with replaying the game's lengthy tutorial. But worry not, we have new info about how you can jump ahead of this. I actually have people on Twitter giving me grief about the request to, hey, it'd be amazing to jump ahead to try out update 2.0. Well, CD Projekt Red agrees with me and they're letting you do that with Phantom Liberty. We're going to be discussing that and why that's so important and why they should consider doing something similar with update 2.0, not just inside of Phantom Liberty. Second, I want to talk about what I'm actually looking for in the expansion. There are specific things that I would like to see that you can't really test out in the early pieces of the game. I wish they would have let you skip the tutorial so that you could just sort of jump into the aspects of the game with respect to different skill trees and things that they had promoted but more on how that works in just a moment because Phantom Liberty does give you that option. Third and lastly I want to discuss what true redemption of this game would look like. Some have stated that this is sort of a Witcher 3 DLC effect creating a new memory of the game uh, almost maybe even landing in a bit of revisionist history I want to ask the question did we finally get the game that CD Projekt Red marketed when the game was first announced now before I do that I do want to restate that as much as I have false started with Cyberpunk, I am actually cheering for this game. Even my attempt to try out the 2.0 update was a bit of a bust last week because the tutorial just has not changed, it's very lengthy, and I can't see anybody starting over wanting to experience that again. I had longtime Cyberpunk fans saying, I really wish we could jump ahead. Well, CD Projekt Red has listened to those requests, and I'll give you the details on what that looks like in just a second. So while Phantom Liberty gives you a way to skip the opening, I think the 2.0 update should also have its own skip. 
Well, why? Well, because the 2.0 update is supposed to be the free update that convinces players to buy the expansion. Having to replay the opening of the game is not the ideal runway. Even big fans of the game admit that the game's opening is a bit of a slog. CD Projekt Red encouraged us to start over, and obviously they acknowledge that folks want to skip it since the expansion itself lets you. At one level, I think the expansion has the greatest chance of success if you let players jump ahead in the game and try out the 2.0 update first. If it is as good as everybody says, it would serve as a convincing element to buying Phantom Liberty. If it, you know, if I wasn't as plugged in as I am, I would have booted up the game last week and seen almost no differences, and I likely would have walked away again. It's just something for the devs to consider. Having the skip option behind the expansion paywall may not be the best place for it. So, let's talk about the 2.0 update, okay? Because this is where everybody's focusing a lot of their attention, and I believe that they should be. Because after my review roundup last week, one theme clearly emerged. The 2.0 update is being praised as much as Phantom Liberty as a piece of content is praised as well. They're being like equally praised. This is one of the main reasons I think they should leverage this update to create a better runway earlier in the game for returning or newer players. I love the idea of this game having its No Man's Sky moment. And one way to achieve that is to create a really great and approachable funnel. But part of me wonders if we are not entering into new territory, where big mainstream games end up with so many systems in them that a lengthy onboarding process is needed. Should you just quickly buckshot a bunch of tutorials, or should you try to weave it into a narrative opener? Even Cyberpunk uses a montage to skip over character development between you and Jackie. If you let players skip the tutorial aspect of the game, they might feel lost. It's certainly possible, and this is why innovation and creativity is needed for games of this size. Having to play a game for multiple hours just to see if you enjoy the content loop, the meat of the game as it were, that's asking quite a bit of the consumer, especially in day and age where attention spans are getting shorter and long games are welcome. They sell well, they will do well, but the opening of the game can't take that long to get going. So for me, I think the 2.0 update is very much untested, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I feel like there's a lot of gamers in my situation wanting to come back and see if the free update has done enough to sort of bring them back to the game before buying the expansion. And the crazy thing is, they did multiple interviews where it sounded like you would need to play like roughly 10 hours before being able to jump in to Phantom Liberty. But just last week when the 2.0 update dropped, they announced in multiple multiple interviews and articles, you could actually skip right to the expansion, even with a new save. Now, this was after multiple areas and, and that, that where they were stating you were going to have to reset. A fresh save would be the best way to experience the game. CD Projekt Red said, listen, starting over is the best way to experience this expansion. But according to PCGamesN.com, CD Projekt Red has already revealed that you can skip ahead to Phantom Liberty with a new save in Cyberpunk 2077. And after playing the game's DLC for our Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty review, I'm here to tell you that it's actually a great option if you want to go into the open world game fresh when the DLC drops. So hilariously, when I said this the other day that that would be a great thing 
to allow the players to do and I got pushed back and Cyberpunk Defense Force said that that's ridiculous and I have people on Twitter making fun of me for saying this CD Projekt Red agrees they're like yeah you can do that here's what it looks like so when you boot up the game you have regular start and then you have skip ahead to Phantom Liberty and the text on screen says skip ahead in the story to the beginning of Phantom Liberty all content from both Phantom Liberty and the base game will be available at this point note attribute points will be allocated automatically you will be able to reset and redistribute them later so this is like literally what i was asking for like let me jump in i know how to play this game i've been i've done the tutorial before you know you got a lot of people coming back and now i can check it out i can maybe move some things around try some different builds so what does this game look like if you choose that option let's say you're like listen i've played this game enough i don't need a tutorial on how to do all the basics in the game i want to jump right in well No worries. According to PCGamesN.com, choosing this option picks up after the Konpeki Plaza heist, giving you just three base game quests alongside an instant calling to go to Dogtown, Phantom Liberty's new Night City district. As someone who hates being disorganized, having a mostly clear quest log and inventory let me enjoy everything that Phantom Liberty had to offer in isolation before venturing out into Night City proper. So if you're planning on starting a new game alongside the free Cyberpunk 2077 2.0 update, this is a great option. That is how I will be jumping in today. I'll be doing a gameplay session. So if you're watching this later, make sure and check that out. See how I felt about how the game felt. I hope I can put my points into where I wanted to. I really wanted to invest in the reflexes tree. There's a run and gun build that I think looks really, really fun for someone who you know plays like I do. I'm more gun focused. And that kind of flows right next into what I want to talk about. What am I looking for? Well, the first thing I want to test is the shooting more extensively. I will say, the little bit that I got to do in the two hours that I spent after the update went live, the shooting felt better. In the car, it was noticeably better, especially compared to what I remembered. I remember the car combat not feeling that great. I also made sure to go through the combat tutorials where you're like shooting the dummies in that testing environment. I still think melee always feels funny in a first person game. That's a preference of mine. Whenever I'm in a first person view and I'm like holding a sword, it always feels a little funky. I always prefer to be third person if I'm doing anything melee based, but even in the combat tutorial, I felt that the gunplay had been tightened up. I always felt in the past that the guns were kind of clunky, they were kind of sluggish, they didn't have good player feedback, it didn't feel like a good shooter. So, what I'm looking for by skipping ahead in Phantom Liberty is in relation to this. I want to see if the skills themselves that I invest in, I want to see if they're impactful over how guns and how combat feel. This is fundamentally important to me, and is fundamentally, I think, important to so much of the 2.0 update if i feel like the impact is noticeable enough and strong enough my next thing i want to check is the content loop itself can phantom liberty as a new piece of content and expansion can i fold that in to the main game combat loop of content loop that i've just you know never really played to its fullest extent can i enjoy both sort of interwoven the phantom liberty story looks great i really do i think it's it's one of the better cinematic story trailers we've gotten in a while and as someone who falls started with the game i would love a complete playthrough and if phantom liberty can be the catalyst for that happening i would be very happy I have definitely changed a lot as a player since the first few times that I tried this game. I was enjoying the tutorial and the dialogue sections more than I remembered. My first couple of playthroughs, I always got kind of bothered by that. 
and I've sort of changed over the years as a player. The only reason I stopped playing uh, this last week was because it wasn't going to be productive, okay? It was like, okay, I'm not getting to show off the 2.0 update, and also, i got to shut down for the day, right? I've got a schedule to keep. I've got things I've got to do. So I was thrilled to find out I could skip ahead with Phantom Liberty because even though I change as a player and even though I do enjoy slower approaches to dialogue and story, that doesn't really change my opinion about this game's opening. And as long as I'm not talking to the Cyberpunk Defense Force, I tend to get agreement on that point about the opening of Cyberpunk is kind of slow and it takes a while to get going. Everybody says just push through as fast as you can and get to the thing that, you know, get 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 through the heist and then you can kind of do what you want to do. CD Projekt Red also seems to agree they want to let players skip ahead in Phantom Liberty. So let's close this out by discussing... What would true redemption look like for Cyberpunk? So during a members-only stream, one of my channel members, uh, Eugene, said that he was worried this was going to end up being like the Witcher 3 DLC effect, okay? I believe what he said was maybe a little overstated. I don't think Witcher 3 was nearly as bad as Cyberpunk, but it did not have the smoothest of launch, okay? it Not by a long shot, but it wasn't as bad as Cyberpunk was at launch. Once the bugs were removed and patched in The Witcher 3, there was sort of a great RPG underneath. But the memory of The Witcher 3 turned into an almost sacred one because of how much praise and positive response that the game got because of the free DLC that they did. The Witcher 3 Blood and Wine DLC was described as brilliant, as a brilliant end to a brilliant RPG by IGN. PC Gamer gave that DLC a 94 which is seven points higher than their score for Phantom Liberty at 87. So the concern would be that Phantom Liberty creates this sort of false memory about Cyberpunk's quality. I actually don't agree with this comparison that much. Witcher 3 scored and reviewed far better than Cyberpunk did at launch. The bugs were certainly a problem, but The Witcher 3 was a much more solid and well-built RPG from the beginning. The DLC helped, but it wasn't a redemption moment for a game mired in controversy and sort of a comeback tour that the way that Cyberpunk is. So Cyberpunk is sort of in need of a redemption arc. They're kind of having their comeback tour. Witcher 3 was never in that situation. I do think, however, we need to be cautious about revisionist history when it comes to games. Everybody talks about The Witcher 3 as if it's sacred and the best game ever, even though it had kind of a rough launch. Everybody forgets the rough launch. I think that was the point that he was trying to make with what he said. Some gamers have expressed concern about supporting games having redemption arcs. They're worried that, well, games are just going to keep launching before they're ready and then they'll get fixed later. I still think this is unlikely unless you are a brand or franchise that can weather it and honestly, a refund system on consoles would really protect against game companies being able to do this. Jedi Survivor had great commercial success, but PC is still a platform where it's in terrible shape. I certainly hope that's not related to the fact that most of the users likely return the game for a refund on PC. Maybe then that's now deprioritized for fixes because less people own it there than on console and they want to bring it to old console so they need to fix it on console first basically I'm glad they fixed it but the commercial motivation might be one that we don't want to support 
I think Jedi Survivor is unique because the Star Wars brand really carried the game. Bad launches of games that are not ready are incredibly risky from a financial perspective. I don't think Cyberpunk being hailed as a comeback is going to like lead to more bad launches. Like Companies are going to say, hey, I tell you what, let's just launch a game and it'll be bad and we'll fix it later. They, they, they stand to lose tons of money and maybe even financial ruin if they do that. I hope this actually, what's going on with Cyberpunk, I hope it leads to more game delays, showing the devs can achieve a lot if they're given the proper time. But when answering the question, did we get the game that we were promised? I think my answer is, based on the reviews and the feedback that we're already hearing, is we are getting the best case scenario after a terrible launch. Okay, that's kind of my answer. And what I mean is we're getting the best version of Cyberpunk within the confines of what they released. That does mean, however, we are not getting the game that they originally marketed or promised. This is another cautionary tale, I think, for video game marketing. What happened to CD Projekt Red in the wake of this game's launch is not something any company would want to replicate. Having your stock value fall to the point that you have to settle a lawsuit with your shareholders is not an ideal situation. Everybody always wants to point to how many copies Cyberpunk sold, and they're like, well, more games are going to do this. What happened with their stocks and having to settle that lawsuit with their shareholders is far more damaging than the sales of the game could ever make up for. This is how I think the praise and the history of Cyberpunk should be couched. Yes, What they have done is admirable. And yes, we got the best version of the game that they originally launched. But we did not get the game that they originally announced. And that's a huge difference. No Man's Sky basically built itself into a worthy and triumphant sequel into itself. Like, they basically built a whole nother game. It's not even remotely close to what they originally promised. It's far exceeded what Hello Games originally advertised. Cyberpunk seems to have rebuilt a faulty car, fixed a bunch of features, and gave it a great fresh coat of paint. And I believe that that's something to celebrate. I say that as someone who may still not land with both feet on the ground with this game. Even if the game never truly hooks me, even though I think that they should have handled the 2.0, up, the 2.0 update differently with like new and returning players especially, and the onboarding of those players, I still want this game to succeed and turn things around. Well, why? Because I have a feeling this will not be the last Cyberpunk game, and a good exit should turn into a good runway for the next game. Let me give you my thoughts and conclusions on this The 2.0 updates can improve beyond just additive content. Going back, reworking skill trees, combat systems, and game mechanics, that is a tall order, which also shows just how hard it is to fix a poorly launched game. Typically, a game that we would describe as broken or really bad at launch, it's not easily fixed. It is almost never just one or two things that need to be addressed. You are usually dealing with systemic issues baked into the game. This is why comeback stories for games are so impressive, but it's also why we should not fear supporting the comeback kid games that happen. The idea that, well, devs will just launch bad games and fix it later, it's so reductionist in light of all that goes into a game being bad and needing to be fixed at launch. More than that, 
it completely ignores just how much harder it is to fix and redeem a broken or poorly launched game. It's not a switch that they flip where they're like, well, put out the bad version of the game and we'll flip this little switch later to push out the good version. The second thing I want to say is, the question about Cyberpunk's redemption is certainly subjective. Fans of the game feel they have always had a good or great game this entire time, and it's only getting better. While the rest of us range from strong disdain to jealous interest. I've never had a strong dislike for the game, I've always had sort of that jealous interest, to the point that I've given the game multiple chances to hook me. I fall started with Hollow Knight, two separate times and the third time was the charm and it's now one of my favorite metroidvanias there's a part of me that's always wanted to like cyberpunk i've always wanted to kind of fall in with the game and we're going to try one more time by skipping ahead to phantom liberty and checking out the 2.0 update my conclusion is this No matter where you land on Cyberpunk as a game or Phantom Liberty as an expansion, one thing is clear. CD Projekt Red is once again going out on a high note. In four to five years' time, we might hear the first whispers of the next Cyberpunk game. And by then, the memory will be morphed into a generally positive one. People will say things like, Remember how great Cyberpunk was at the end? Or, Remember how bad the launch was? They really turned things around. By the end, they really did right by the consumer. Whether you agree with that or not is kind of irrelevant, because it makes one thing undeniable. This may be the end of Cyberpunk 2077, but CD Projekt Red is not done with Cyberpunk as a franchise, which means that we, as gamers, we're not done with it either. And that's the show open. Thank you guys so much for being here that's one of my faster show opens i'm proud of myself 21 minute show open not 35 minutes so thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening do me a favor and smash the like button and let's get our first members of the day going you guys have got some big goals to end this month with uh, where are they? Let's first let's get the daily goal out here. There it is. And these are the things that you can unlock if you guys go crazy this week. Fight night with my wife, fright night, and then game night. Those are the three things you guys can go after. And we are currently, I think we're what are we around? Yeah, we're on twenty three hundred members. I'm pretty sure you guys could hit all of them if you really wanted to. We could definitely hit fright night by the end of the week and I do have some people to thank who re-upped during the show open Heavy Metal Mama hits an entire year excuse me of support and that is a gold badge thank you so much for doing that my PS4 ray tracing mode runs really bad besides the 30 FPS there's lighting bugs it's been like this since before the update yeah, I run performance mode, so I'm not. I've not seen um, what it is that you are uh, talking about. Twenty four months from Nerd Mother, and that's a VIP. Welcome back. And there it is. Han Solo shot first, and so did you. DK Baker once again taking the crown of the first gifted member of the day. He does this often. And Derek says. I think if a documentary is ever made, the angle could very easily be devs trying to do what's right while the publisher tries to F everything up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why in these conversations, we always end up in this sort of blame the devs scenario. 
And usually it's not the devs. There's usually a breakdown somewhere in upper management leadership or there's a breakdown, you know, with the relationship with the publisher. Um, guys, I don't know if YouTube's having a problem. We, I, my backend stuff doesn't look quite right. So if you're having to refresh or something weird is happening or the chat's acting up, that's not on my end. I don't have any issues going on. So you may have to refresh in lower quality. Um, I've never seen this happen before at the start of a stream. So if you're having to refresh, I apologize. It's not on my end. I actually do think the game is close to what they promised all of the updates, but people only want to praise No Man's Sky and hold some kind of a weird grudge against Cyberpunk. Interestingly enough, Baba Yaga, interestingly enough, there are people who take a similar grudge-holding angle against No Man's Sky. They do. They take the exact same line of thinking. They're like, I will not support that game. You know, Sean, Sean Marie lied is what they'll claim. You know, they'll say that Sean Marie lied. They'll say all this stuff and they just refuse to support No Man's Sky. So I think even to this date, we've had similar things happen with No Man's Sky. I think there's a big difference between No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk because No Man's Sky was, you know, playable where it launched (laughs) at launch. Did you see that 2.0, they added symmetry uh, for the fallen characters in the Cyberpunk show? I need to find it. Oh, a cemetery. I thought it said symmetry. I was like, what? Um, Let me see here. What is he saying? Um, Do-do. You confirm the balance saying zero out. It's not common practice. All right, hang on, hang on. Thank you so much, Creature. Uh, Gamers are sensitive. I mean, I'm one of the guys that I look at games and I don't take it personal. There are certain games where I probably would. uh, I would take it personal if suddenly we were dealing with like a, you know, like a Hellblade scenario, you know, if or Ghost of Tsushima 2. I've not gotten an email yet, Creature. You know, I, I would take it personal if one of those games got, like, severely screwed up. Like, if Ghost of Tsushima comes out and it's just awful. Or if Hellblade 2 comes out and it's a disaster. I would take that personal. But I would say, generally speaking, I don't get that sort of invested in video games to the point where I, like, I'm gonna hold a grudge. A good example would be Jedi Survivor, right? They finally fixed Jedi Survivor, and I wasn't like, no, I refuse to play that game. They launched it in a bad state. You know, I'm not touching it or whatever. Well, I th- that would be ridiculous. Now, even people, there are people that are like, I'm not going to buy Jedi Survivor um, unless I can get it on sale because that's basically their attitude. Their attitude is, you know, I'm not going to touch that game until... You know, I can, I can, I can confidently say I'm not paying full price, right? So, from where I sit, I understand why people get to that point with games. You know, I understand why somebody might think, well, I don't want to pay full price for it, or I don't want to support it, or whatever. Um, but I do think people go beyond just being good consumer, good economic practice, and they almost hold like a grudge. And they're like, no, absolutely not. I'm never going to support that game uh, ever away. And I think whenever you have those situations, I just don't think you're ever going to convince that person. I don't think you're ever going to convince that person to try out the game. And listen, it's your own personal journey as a gamer. If there's something, if, if, if you feel like, man, when I look at Cyberpunk, 
I just don't think I'm 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 going to support it because I'm really angry and I feel like the devs lied or you know whatever the case may be. I would I would say that if someone is feeling that that's their choice as a gamer, right? I think there's two ways to approach the situation. There are people that look at Cyberpunk and say I'm holding a personal grudge. I'm angry. I'm never going to support the game. There are also people that say, I've, I'm never going to get the game they originally marketed. If you go back to the original marketing, the original promises, how it was all set up, I'm never going to get that game. I'm just they, 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 have, they have baked too many things into the crust. Scope creep got away from them. I think both of those responses are very different. I think one person is legitimate in sort of saying... I just I'm not going to buy and support a game if I don't feel like I'm getting what was originally marketed, what was originally promised. I think that's fair. I think holding like an ideological grudge, I don't find that helpful for a handful of reasons. Number 1, I think that too many games launch in a bad state and your grudge or your I'll never buy another game from this company again or whatever. It generally doesn't achieve anything, it doesn't do anything, and it also typically isn't the developer's fault. You're usually dealing with system-wide problems. When a game comes out and is not ready, when a game comes out and has all sorts of issues that need to be addressed, that is typically a sign of long-standing bad leadership, uh, a publisher pushing a game out before it's ready. There, There are a lot of entanglements that lead to a game coming out like that, And I'm always like, man, if the devs are going to commit to fix it, if the devs are going to commit to fix it, then I kind of want to support that. Doesn't that send a loud and clear message that game delays are better? Because if developers are given the opportunity to delay a game, then you, you know, your game's going to end up being much better. I mean, I would hope the lesson that a lot of publishers and developers take away from games like No Man's Sky and games like Cyberpunk is not, oh, we can just launch crap, we'll fix it later. No, because the publisher stands to lose a lot of money too if you push a game out too early. What about when the publisher is the developer? Right, in the case of Cyberpunk... You, they are the publisher and the developer, which is very unique and that's really rare. So I also think we have to look at it from that perspective of this was a leadership problem. There, there, at some level, there was a breakdown where this project got out from underneath of them and nobody reined it back in. Nobody made the executive decision to say this game shouldn't launch on old gen. That would have saved them a lot of heartache. It probably would have saved them a lot of time. If somebody would have just made that executive decision that, listen, we this can't run on old gen. There's just no way. There, There is quite literally no way this game is going to run efficiently back there. You're going to create a massive problem for us. You know, put it on, put it on the newer consoles only. You know, don't put it, don't put it on the old. And I think anytime you're facing those kind of decisions, you're facing a commercial decision. They were looking at the number of consoles in circulation and they were thinking, oh, well, we'll make more money if we do it this way. And that decision doesn't fall onto the devs. The devs are not the one. You probably had developers saying, you probably had devs at the company saying, no, absolutely not. What are we doing? Why would we do this? But it's not ultimately up to them. It's not, it doesn't come down. It's not their decision. The decisions are all on them in in that case. 
Right, but similarly to how we learned about Redfall, and we looked at Redfall and said, this doesn't really come down to the devs being bad or not knowing what they're doing. It came down to leadership. It came down to leadership at the company not vocalizing, oh, we can't do this. We, and there's no way we can there's no way we can build this game we're not equipped to build this game we don't have the bandwidth to build this game we don't want to build this game leadership failed in that regard leadership failed anthem in similar in similar fashion when we finally got the autopsy on anthem it was like what what's the leadership doing here why would you do that for how long you did it that's just unbelievable so when i look at cd project red sure there is no overlord publisher that we can blame but we can certainly look at we can certainly look at the 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 relationship that they had with their own leadership and their own decisions of where to put the game and say are the devs inept or did the leadership make really really bad decisions because i can't imagine looking at this game and all the things they've done with it if you look at the graphics and the lighting and the appearance it's like the fact that they even tried to put this on old gen is crazy to me how did that not get how did I not get run up the flagpole as just a terrible idea? Can't remember the history exactly when they contractually obligated to release on old gen. Yeah, I'd be interested to look into that because Gotham Knights, remember, they just quietly dropped old gen. They didn't even really announce it. Do you remember? And that was that was fairly close to the release of the game, was it not? When they quietly did that, they were just like they just sort of like made an announcement of where the game was going to land. They didn't say anything, and it was like, "Yep, it's only going to land on new on next gen consoles." And nobody nobody really batted an eye to a certain degree. Everyone was like, "Oh, okay." And up to that point, it was a, it was a multi platform release. I'm sorry, it was a cross generation platform release. So. I don't know if there's if there's some kind of a contract where if your game's slated if your game's slated for you know multi plat I'm sorry not multi plat cross gen are you stuck and you just have to do it I would I would I would say it has more to do with money than some kind of a contract they probably said listen we we we've we've got to do this there's way too many PlayStation fours in circulation there's way too many you know Xbox ones out there. For us to just ignore that that player base that's been looking forward to our you know our game i agree with you melee in first person doesn't really work i've just never liked it i always played skyrim third person i remember we had a debate about that people were like you played skyrim in third person i was like yeah i, I want to kind of see my character I, I don't know there's something about playing a game where your sword's like this you know what i mean you're just holding it up in front of you like apparently that's how you in, engage in uh, in melee combat. <laughs> you know, it, it has always bothered me. I did feel like the gunplay felt better though, so I'm anxious to see if investing in the skill trees will be impactful today. Like, will I notice a difference? And uh, Patrick's calling you guys out. He says there's over 500 people here. Let's get some more likes and let's get some gifted members as well. You guys could easily hit the the the, the goals this week. If not, you're gonna have to roll it over and try to carry it into. October, they released the trailer at 2013 where the 8th generation was ju- is just kicking up. Right. That's, see, that's another great piece of, of, of information to consider is I've always said marketing windows need to shrink. You, you market a game seven years before it comes out. That's just, that's not going to work. You're, you're, there's literally no way 
whatever you show me let's imagine you show me an announcement trailer of some kind right now for a game that's coming out in 2030 all right you show me a cinematic you show me something you, a, ga- a gameplay sample or something and I-, I follow the game for seven years in in my experience with gaming there's no way that over the course of that seven years you're gonna get the game you're gonna get the game that they originally envisioned you're just not going to right I fear for Elder Scrolls because of this I think the main thing in Elder Scrolls corner is is that you're not dealing with a game that is like a brand new idea. We kind of know the IP, and they gave us a very, very basic announcement. But I do think you're right. I think the fact that the earlier you announce it, I think the greater risk that you take. Yeah, Factions 2 would be a game that you announced it so early. That thing could be completely canceled. I saw people thinking it was going to be a part of the last of us day. And I was like, no, it's not going to be part of the last of us day that they, that, that thing's been temporarily or permanently shelved. As far as we know, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to come out before the current gen consoles before it got delayed. Elder scroll six is going to suck because again, they'll market as an RPG and they'll give us a village builder. No, I don't think so. I think they're I think they'll probably have a very I honestly I feel like Elder Scrolls will be Well, I don't I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to jinx it, but I feel like it'll be kind of like their 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 second coming. It'll be Bethesda's second coming to a certain degree. Everyone will say this is a true successor. I think it's kind of like the re- the, the hesitancy to make Half-Life 3 and the hesitancy to make Portal 3. There are companies that I they hit such heights of greatness and I think it's harder to hit those heights now it's interesting to think about that from the, from, a, from the perspective of like video game design and expectations I think it's harder to hit those heights because back then they laid the groundwork for what we play now and the difficulty is you can't replicate that level of how do I want to say this you can't replicate that level of influence, that tectonic impact on gaming and on like the gamer's experience. You cannot replicate that. You can't just do it again. Does that make sense? Everyone's like, oh yeah, Todd lost his mojo or whatever. Like, think about Cyberpunk as an example. Cyberpunk is a game that set its sights on being this massive, huge open world game. RPG you're going to have all this freedom. You're going to be able to do all this stuff, right? Well, as the scope of that game got broader and broader and broader, it, it essentially hurt the quality of the game. So it's almost like the shadow of RPGs of the past is like looming over these games that come out and they try to swing so hard and go so broad that it ends up hurting the games in, in general. Like that, in my estimation, that's what happened with Cyberpunk is it just got, the scope creep got out from underneath of them. They did so many things. There are literal systems and, and things that you do in the tutorial that you do like once or twice in the rest of the game. Like, why did you build this? It's just odd. It, it, it seems really, really strange to to do that it would be like playing a game that's like open world rpg you know open world action rpg 
I'm sorry, I said open world action RPG. Am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to say RPG if it's not strictly turn-based, build a character, I live out my choose my own adventure, narrow definition? Am I allowed to say that? Am I? I'm just making sure I'm allowed to say that. Let's just say you have an open world action RPG and they like walk through some climbing mechanic in the tutorial and then you do it like twice in the rest of the game. I think you would look at that and be like, that's kind of strange, isn't it? That's kind of bewildering. Like, what? Why did you? T- why'd you take the time to? Why'd you take the time to build that? If it's not going to be a main point, if it's not, not going to be a main point of the game, and that's what I feel like happened with Cyberpunk. It's like you guys had really, really cool ideas, really cool ideas. And you didn't really use a lot of them more than a couple of times. Like you did, you built this whole thing of, hey, you do this thing. Uh, what's the what's the brain? Oh frick! I always forget the name of it. The the thing that I'm about to do in the tutorial right here. I'm following Evelyn. The the brainwave hacking or whatever it is. People, I, every time I got to that point in the game, people were like, don't worry, like don't worry. You only have to do this like twice in the whole game. I was like. Why is there? Why is it here then? It's so odd. Brain dance. Thank you. Like, why is brain dance in the game then? If it's not a major point of the content loop. Now, again, I'm going off of what fans of Cyberpunk have told me. They're like, yes, brain dance is kind of slow. It's not that fun, and it shows up in the game like two, maybe three times. I'm like. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's just bizarre. Well, that to me, I think, is evidence of scope creep. Somebody had this bright idea. Oh, this would be really, really cool. Brain dance. Yes. Oh, let's do it. And they build the system out. And then that's all they do with it. They just build the system out. It's like the vehicle uh, combat. The car combat. You do it in the game open. Now, I know they've added it to the base game now. They've made lots of updates. Yo, what's good, Feed? I see you in the chat. Good to see you. Um, you know, the, 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 the car combat is in the tutorial and like, it wasn't in the rest of the game. Now that's been changed with 2.0. Okay. So again, you just have to ask yourself, you're like, well, how does something like that happen? Well, I think going back to what I was just saying, I think the shadow of RPGs like Skyrim, these, these pivotal moments in gaming history where, a game sort of impacts the entire next generation of gaming. Well, now you're trying to outdo that. It's it's like the cliche in the movies where the dad was an all-star in a sport and he wants his son to be an all-star in the sport and so he's kind of like living in his dad's shadow or maybe your big brother would be better, right? Like your your older brother is this amazing MVP, he's this all star. He's going, he's he's getting he's getting college offers and everything else. And you're sort of living in that shadow of how do I outdo that? And I that that's how I that's how I think of games like this. We keep looking at these big, huge, open, awesome games, and the question becomes. Well, is it good? Is the quality there? Is it, is it giving me what I want? Is it succeeding? And I think a lot of the times we unfairly judge games against this sort of backdrop expectation of, well, it needs to be tectonic. Patrick Q with a single gifted and Aaron Claypool with a single gifted. We got a bit of a member train out of nowhere. These guys just coming in and kind of tag teaming. Thank you so much, Aaron Claypool. And thank you so much, Patrick for gifting single members to the community. 
And if you guys get a gifted membership, you can always pay it forward. Um, how did I get dragged into this? I'm leaving you alone this morning. I didn't say anything about you. What are you talking about? Uh, when I took away from Cyberpunk is beep beep Movo. It tells me you didn't do uh too much. What? When I took away when all I took away from Cyberpunk was beep beep Movo. I'm not sure what you're talking about. The same thing happened with the Outer Worlds in the guest part of the game was the first several hours and all the choices and stuff fell off. Well, one thing that we've heard from Phantom Liberty reviews, one thing we've heard is you actually make pivotal choices. You actually make pivotal choices in the game. No spoilers, but you have to like choose somebody to betray. And that's all we know. Right? Was a dad joke? Missed it? Yeah, I didn't see it. Only needs to be tectonic if it's been promoted as such, in my opinion. I think that's fair pushback, Eugene. I think maybe that's the problem, is instead of just setting out and saying, we're going to make a really, really great RPG, they market the game as if it's going to be life-changing. It's like, you don't need to make a life-changing game, just make a good game. Captain Steve says, Cyberpunk original story and voice acting was great. Hoping these new characters in Phantom Liberty adds to that and betters it. Hearing that it does, can't wait. Uh, it's always interesting to me, Captain Steve, because I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of you. I didn't think that the voice acting was good at all. I didn't find the story to be compelling at all. I, I was I, I got through you know the opening. I got to Johnny Silverhand. I did a couple of things with him. And I was like bored out of my mind. Now I'll admit, in the past couple of years, I've really changed as a gamer. I've appreciated slow burn storytelling quite a bit more. Okay, a couple of years ago, I never would have enjoyed a game like Final Fantasy 16. I'd have been like, this is a snooze fest. And just last week, when I was playing through Cyberpunk to check out the 2.0 update, I said a couple of times, I was like, I'm actually enjoying this more than last time. I was actually enjoying the dialogue and the choices. So the second time, I was playing as female V, and she was noticeably better than the male voice actor for V. So that helped a little bit. But I also think I've changed a little bit as a gamer. I remember I had the same experience with The Witcher 3. At the time... I was like, bro, what's with all the dialogue trees? I just want to go. I just want to go quest. I want to go get in a, in a fight, and I remember being annoyed by that. Now I look at The Witcher Three, and I always feel this sort of sense of loss. Of oh, I never got to play that game to completion. You know, I never got to experience that game all the, you know all the way through. Just don't make me Lona lo- lo- read for story. I do find myself enjoying a cinematic story more than when I'm when I'm checking you know picking the dialogue but I do like in in cyberpunk how at least when I choose a dialogue option you get different responses like it feels like the actual story itself is changing even if it's not significant maybe I just get really snippy with somebody well at least then their voice response in the story seems to be shaping around me and I do like that it doesn't need to be literally you know kill kill Tom or kill Bill like it doesn't need to be I said kill Bill um it doesn't need to be that extreme I like the side mission with the cop and the farm with the teens 
hooked up to deathbeds, freaky stuff. Playing Starfield and the robotic NPCs, mad stiffness, made me appreciate Cyberpunk more. Starfield, uh, Lona, did you see that Starfield dropped below Fallout 76 in Steam ratings? Yeah, I don't know where this, I don't know where this, this, this narrative is coming from that Starfield's been review bombed or that the reviews are because it's a bad port. I don't know why people are saying that. Go read the reviews on Steam. That simply isn't true. There's no evidence of review bombing, and there's no evidence that that the the majority or the the theme of the negative reviews is that it's a bad port or that they're having performance issues. Seriously, go look at the Steam reviews. You can't substantiate either of those claims if you actually take the time to do some research. I don't know where that's coming from. I want to circle back to what Captain Steve said, though. That this, you know, playing Cyberpunk made him appreciate... I'm sorry, playing Starfield made him appreciate Cyberpunk more. We've seen the comparisons on Twitter, and sometimes I think these comparisons are very disingenuous because they're very different games. But I couldn't help but think... Cyberpunk's an older game and it's doing certain things better. We've seen some of the comparisons between Cyberpunk and Starfield because it's a game where NPCs can react to you. NPCs are walking around. NPCs are you're do or, you know are doing all these various things and and you can pull your gun out or you can talk to them or you know all those different things that you can do. And you know, I I watched a couple of those comparisons and thought yeah, Cyberpunk actually does look a little bit better, you know, in those particular instances. Scope and scale? Probably not. I don't think we would say it competes on scope and scale because there's way more places to go and way more things to do in Starfield. But, you know, it's interesting that Captain Steve brought that up. I didn't bring that up. Like, my, my producer was telling me that we should do a show you know, saying that Phantom Liberty is going to eat Starfield's lunch. And I was like, I don't want to do that show, right? I, I didn't want to do that show because I don't know. Um, okay, it was a bug. Yeah, I was going to say, I've not, I don't have an email or anything yet. Um, uh, uh, let me see here. Yeah, but he wanted me to do that show, and I was like, I don't want to do that show because I don't know if I like I don't know if I like those comparisons. Like at one at one level, I understand the comparisons, but I don't. Mm, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're the right comparisons. Does that make sense? Phantom Liberty is going to eat Starfield's lunch. This creature, I just don't know. Starfield's NPCs are like the android Sophia, but Cyberpunk. Where you are a cyborg, cyborg, they seem more human. Just saying, you know, it's it's hard not to also see some of the mods that have come out that have been like, hey, we made all the NPCs look a thousand times better. You know, I, it, it, people that don't even work for the company, you know, making the people look more realistic. Like that's just crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy to me. Um, why is that a thing? I don't understand. That's. That's something that I I don't uh, I don't I have a really hard time grappling with, and and I can't explain it away. Like I try to put myself into the mindset of, let's imagine I'm a huge Starfield fan and I've seen some of those comparisons. I don't really know what my comeback would be. I'd be like, yep, I you know, it's a Bethesda game. Creature got a bigger sack than you. No, he doesn't have to sit in the chair and respond to everything. 
<laughs> it's easy to say, let's do a show where we say cyberpunk Phantom Liberty is going to eat Starfield's lunch. It's like, yeah, it's easy to say that from the comfort of your chair where you can type and chat a couple of times. I'm the one who's got to sit here on the mic and have that conversation with the public. <laughs> don't count mods as part of the game. I don't. I don't, Captain Steve. I do not count mods as part of the game. That's what I'm saying to you. It's like, what in the world? How do, how do people not working on the game do a better job? You know? Creature Sag is in the bunker. Yeah, I'm the one out on the front lines that's going to get clipped and get made fun of for saying it. And I honestly don't even know if I agree with it. Oh, I guarantee you there'll be a clip of me saying that now. And they'll make sure to cut it off and slice it off to, to say... That, you know, oh yeah, here's this pony saying Cyberpunk's gonna eat Starfield's lunch. Like, even just me saying the sentence and entertaining the idea and ultimately saying that I don't really agree with the comparison, that'll still end up. That'll still end up getting thrown out there. It will. What's going on here with my chair? Let's get in the center. I was not in the center. Lona will not install a mod even if it saves his life. Yeah, I don't like putting mods in the game. I want to play the I want to play the base game. I want to play what the devs built. You know? I've just never done the mod thing. I can be opinionated as I want to be. I'm um, I'm in chat, not the chair. That's right. Having only played a few hours of Cyberpunk and I just couldn't get into it, Starfield, on the other hand, was more enjoyable. Oh, I will say this. If y'all want to compare the games, Starfield's opener does a better job of, of interweaving uh, tutorial-esque missions into the narrative and the content loop. Cyberpunk doesn't do that at all. Cyberpunk's opener is a slog in comparison. Like, it's interesting too because I feel like a lot of people said it took them about 10 hours to get into Starfield. Not everybody, but a lot of people said that. Some people loved it from moment one, right? They were they were in love before they even got the packaging off the off the the, the clamshell. But there were a lot of people that said, you know, it takes about 10 hours for me to re- to, to really get into the game. It's pretty slow open. And Cyberpunk's opening is shorter, and yet it feels slower. Does that make sense? It's like, think about it when you were in school, and like, both of your classes were an hour and a half long, but one felt a lot longer than the other. (laughs) That's what it feels like, and I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But every time I start up Cyberpunk in the tutorial, I'm like, Man, this just takes so long. I think some of it is I've done it so many times. I think that's part of the problem is that when you've replayed it a couple of times, the opening is sort of a, here we go, you know, here we go again. The Luna Joker, 23 months of membership and a VIP. Good morning, Lono. I'm kind of torn here, but I want to see Cyberpunk succeed and be the game it's meant to be, but I think it needs to stand on its own before the comparisons pull away from the improvements. Well, more than likely, this is going to go down in history as a turnaround time for the game, right? Point forward, you should have a button on your stream deck uh, that puts an overlay on the stream that says this person is this anytime you want to say something remotely clippable. That's the problem is sometimes I don't even know. I don't even know if I am clippable. And that's the thing, Eugene. Remember in Batman where he's like, I'm a 20-year man. (laughs) I know the difference between a punk who needs to be taught some lessons and manners and somebody who's just going to enjoy it. 
And that's the problem with that crew is they love it. If you mention their name, if you even remotely reference what they do, all they lap that up. Like that's a dream come true. They're unresolved daddy issues, getting any attention from a, from a, a, a more successful male. It's like they can't, it's like the best day of their life. I think I might make a video on Cyberpunk versus Starfield, says Captain Steve. As much as I love Starfield, the NPCs are worse than those in Mortal Kombat 1 when it comes to expressions and voice acting. Hey, Steve, listen, you make that video, and then I'll react to it. And I'll be like, he's saying it, not me. It's Captain Steve. I'm not the one saying this. You guys, are you want to call me a Sony pony, and you want to hand on me. Captain Steve's the one saying it. I think that's the right, I think that's the right game plan. You... You make that video. <laughs> you make that video. I'll let it live in the algo for 72 hours, and then I'll react to it. I'll, I don't want to take away from any of your viewership. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to take away from any of your viewership. But I also don't want to make the video because I don't. I don't want to have to listen to it. <sighs> Red pill is right. Um. Starfield's intro was typical intro tutorial. Now, see, I touched on this in my show open because I do wonder if we're getting into new territory. Games the size of Cyberpunk, games the size of Starfield, do they need to be a little bit more creative and innovative with with player onboarding? Like, do, do, if that's if that's the path forward. Like, what's the intro tutorial for Elder Scrolls 6 going to be? What's it going to be? Like, 20 hours? Is it going to be a game in and of itself? Are they going to have to send you a disc first and say, yeah, you got to play this the, the for this first 20 hours <laughs> to learn all the systems and to figure everything out? It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty dense game. It's pretty complex RPG. Gee, many freaking Christmas. As games get bigger, companies are going to have to get more innovative and creative about player onboarding. Because I do think game size is operating on a scale of it breaks itself. It gets to a point where it's like the game is so big it folds in on itself. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I, I have no freaking idea. When am I going to get to the content loop? When am I going to get out of the intro? That, you know. FYI, what did you say? Uh, I like the changes. I like the change that 2.0 did with the crafting, the vendors, and the ripper docks. Having the loot, clothing, cyberware level up in quality as you level up your character was much needed change. Um, Eugene says, I think that's a solid point to Nefits. What did Nefits say? I have mixed feelings about companies turning things around for their games. Explain to me why I should care about a game three years after it launched. Are not games becoming more dynamic and less punctiliar? right we're not in the era of here's the game sweet and then a year later people are like who cares about that game aren't we kind of out of that era now we have the i'm not even talking about live service games by the way i'm not even talking about live service games i'm talking about like even a game like elden ring they're not done with that game we know they're not done with that game now i'm not talking about fixing i'm just talking about as the game exists, the game exists in the gaming space in a more ongoing way. 
in a more dynamic evolutionary way we're not in this realm of here's the game that's the end of the matter you're thinking back to the days of cartridges and cds dvds where there were no updates there were no patches that's the game this is three years later no i know i'm 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 pushing back on the notion that it's odd to care about a game three years later why why what's the problem Punctilier is pertaining to an unextended point of time. It's a definite or a particular point in time. It's like, it's also used grammatically. So if something is punctiliar, it's not ongoing. It's like, dunk, right there. It's happening in that particular point in time. And I don't think games are punctiliar anymore. They're more ongoing. I, I, we we don't get a disc or a cartridge and then that's it that's the end of the matter it's that's the game we don't look at games that way anymore we don't even experience games that way anymore restaurant improves its product three years later are you going to refuse to eat the food the same hype and disappointment but it's enjoyable now right like that's the thing what do we gain by being rigidly transactional with games I don't know what we gain by that. Now, what we do gain as consumers if we become rigidly transactional, which I believe the consoles should enable us to do this. Consoles should enable us to be rigidly transactional. And what I mean is, if you buy a game and you get an hour and a half in, and you're like, this game sucks. It's buggy. It's glitchy. Jedi Survivor is a good example. Jedi Survivor would have seen lots of refunds. Well, that's going to make companies think twice because they can celebrate the commercial success of of uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Why? The lion's share of the community probably bought it on console and then they're stuck with it. If they open the disc physical or they've downloaded the game digitally and they've played it, that's it. It's over. That's your game. There's no going back. So... Maybe I'm kind of arguing with myself right now is that if we were able to be, if we were empowered as consumers to be more rigidly transactional, then it's probably a, a symbiotic relationship because the two would be interplaying with each other. If we were more empowered to refund games, we would likely get less games in this state, right? We would, it would be less likely that a game would launch in this state because everybody would just go click the refund button. It, that would be that would be a, a protective barrier against even needing comeback comeback kids of games. We don't need a comeback kid story. We don't need a redemption arc. G- games launch, and if they're trash, they get taken to the cleaners, and that's kind of the end of the road. <clears throat> Eugene says restaurants only get one chance with me. Um. It depends on the restaurant, it depends on the food, it depends on what the problem was. If the food's good and the service is bad, I'm going to talk to the manager. If the service is good and the food's bad, I'm going to talk to my waitress. If it's all bad, then I would need testimonial to come back. Oh, it's so much better. Ownership's different, restaurant's different. You know, if I would need testimonial to come back. Gamers with their arms folded with a scowl is hilarious, says Omax. Food isn't gaming? 
Well, I think the analogy that Zubair was painting with the food analogy was if you go to a restaurant that everybody is hyping up or you're really excited about and it's bad and it's terrible and you don't go back and two or three late two or three years later they're on the six o'clock news they're on social media saying we've completely revamped our menu we've completely revamped our wait staff and how we and you know to expedite wait times and food to table and uh we we really want people to come back and if people are going back and also going to social media saying this is a different restaurant this is this is the restaurant we all hoped for a couple of years ago they've really turned it around you're you're not even gonna go look you're not even gonna go like get a drink and an appetizer just to kind of see you're all right especially for people who already own the game imagine you go to that restaurant service is terrible food's terrible and they give you a gift card redeemable at any time and you never go back and three years later you still got that gift card like a hundred hundred bucks on it you got a hundred bucks at this restaurant everybody's saying that it's turned it around you're you're not going to go use the gift card you have money you basically have dinner waiting for you at the restaurant for a lot of us i have cyberpunk waiting for me on my playstation 5 already bought it now yes i bought phantom liberty content creator wanting to show off the content sort of a different hemisphere of the average consumer your thumb confused me i checked steam to check if i needed to do something before the penny dropped and now i feel silly oh redeemed like how to redeem the game it redeemed the game i tried creature's idea with just the word redeemed and it didn't look right redeemed with a question mark didn't look right i put redeemed the game question mark Phantom Liberty redeemed the game is kind of what it's saying. For better or for worse, games continue to be worked on and improved. Launch is literally only beginning of its life cycle, even if it's not live service. That's the reality. Captain C says, if people didn't go back and check out a failed game, No Man's Sky would be dead and gone. It's now amazing. Now I'm hungry. Sorry, Donnie. That's a pretty stark difference. You're already bought in. Even if I wasn't bought in, Eugene... Think of all the people that have done exactly what Captain Steve just referenced with No Man's Sky. Hello Games' entire model has been free update, buy the base game. And yes, the base game goes on sale on a regular basis, but in general, their model has been, we don't charge for the updates. We don't charge for the updates. If the update's compelling to you, then then go then go buy the base game. Uh, slick shirt. Oh, thank you. This is another one from Into the AM. It's, uh... It's Norse God. It's Thor. It's I think it's pretty awesome. I like it. Remember to use code LONO or go to intotheam.com slash LONO. Don't forget to smash like either. That supports the stream. We're about an hour in. Let's shoot for 300 likes. And let's get some more of those gifted members. Every 25, I gift 5. We got the goal down here in the corner. And I always pay it forward back to you guys, every 25 members. We've had some huge days where I've gifted tons uh, in response to what y'all have done for the channel gamers are super rigid I grew up with games so I understand it's not perfect craft so I allow for the art form to evolve uh, and self correct if necessary back to what I was saying with No Man's Sky though it was like you get come back get the game that's the difference too No Man's Sky never charged Cyberpunk's not charging Cyberpunk's not charging for 
the update. Now they're charging for the expansion, which I believe is a little bit different because when you hire Idris Elba and you do mocap and voice and and writing, that's not even remotely at the scale of what No Man's Sky has done. No Man's Sky hasn't done anything to that level, right? Now they've added new content, new content loops and new things for you to do, but the cost for Hello Games to do that is a fraction of what it likely cost CD Projekt Red to create this story, to create the cinematics, to create the content. And, you know, Zachary Guy with a single gifted member, thank you so much. For, for them to, to do this, they, they kind of have to charge for it. And this is why, yo, Captain Steve got the membership, nice. This is why I've continued to say the fact that they let me skip ahead, like... I absolutely love that that folks are trying to dog on me about this on Twitter because they look so incredibly dumb. They're literally letting you do the thing that I ask for. They're letting you skip ahead. You're already going to have attribute points, skill points. You're already going to be in the game past the tutorial, which is like uh, exactly what I wanted to have. So what I think they should do is they should let you skip to that point in the game just with 2.0. The Luna Joker takes us to 5 that's actually a layup. Thank you so much. That's such an easy one. That's such an easy one to lay up. Somebody can drop a 20 bomb now to 25. One's asking me to buy in and then buy DLC. It's just easier to move on. This is why I think they should let you boot up the game and jump right after the heist and experience 2.0. Experience the skill tree experience the game, experience the world, experience the updates, and then if you're like, okay, yes, I'm in, then you can go and buy Phantom Liberty. Like, the fact that they're not letting you skip ahead unless you buy Phantom Liberty, I don't think that's the greatest runway, because basically what you're saying is, is, hey, and they said this to everybody, hey, new players and returning players, just start over fresh. Okay. Every returning player playing through that tutorial one more time is going to feel... To some degree, they're going to feel what I felt. Like, ah, here we go again. I got to go through all this. I have people saying, well, it sets up the tone and the vibe of the game. Okay, you can do that without making me play through the tutorial. You could do that with the show. You could do that with the opening mission and meeting Jackie and the Jackie montage. And then you could ask the question, would you like to go through the tutorial or would you like to jump ahead? to the time where Phantom Liberty is unlocked to get a feel for the game to see whether or not you want to buy Phantom Liberty. Because once you buy Phantom Liberty, they're just like, oh, if you, I'm not kidding you, you click new save, you click new save, and this pops up. This is what pops up. Like, you can just skip ahead. As soon as you own the thing, as soon as you do a new save. Raymond Lermont with five months of memberships and a single gifted member comes in from Sorcerer. Thank you so much, Sorcerer. Taking us a six on the day. Appreciate you so, so much. I think the DLC is more optional since launch. They have done a lot to the game, especially including the 2.0 update, which is all the free updates, the content system changes, the base product is better for free. Right, which is exactly why I'm saying they should let you at any point in time coming back to the game, they should let you jump ahead past the heist just so you can get through all that stuff, If you, especially if you've done it before. In my opinion, the base game needs the ability to skip the unlocking of Watson District and start you right at the heist with Jackie and a couple of levels. Do we miss some character development with Jackie? Sure. 
but it is is that needed once you have experienced it once probably not they literally drop you in the game after the heist if you skip ahead with with phantom liberty i'm simply saying hey that's a great choice let people do that as well just when they're doing the two dot when they just want to try out 2.0 games can evolve and improve but it's different when the game is a mess at launch and gets more updates to fixes versus a game that was decent at launch bare bones and gets more updates what game are you talking about king j so wait i can just skip ahead if i own the dlc i've been running around throwing knives at people for no reason when i could have been flying through the air with a sledgehammer all this time you got to do a brand new save murph when you click new game this pops up when you say i want to play a new game this is the very first thing that pops up there's regular start and there's skip ahead to phantom liberty and it takes you right after the heist if you skip ahead and you already have attribute points and some loot and some and some stuff Kyle Wilkerson with 16 months and a VIP gold. Welcome back. King J says, letting them get full price out of you only to fix it later is just not acceptable to me. I need the game to be playable day one. Uh, day one, months, not, I think you meant to say not months and years later. That's the trick the gaming industry had done. Can you name, how many games can you name that have done this? How many? How many games have charged full price and took years to fix the game? How many? I know you can say No Man's Sky. We all know that. You you could probably say Destiny. And I think now you could say Cyberpunk. So you're saying the games industry is doing this. Okay, what are the other games that are doing this? I could probably add up more games that have failed to do this than the number of games that have successfully done this. Because when you have games like Anthem and you have other games that have just completely failed to get off the ground, shutting down servers, you know, not even playable anymore. Okay, you know what? Fallout 76. I forgot about Fallout 76. Yeah, that one, that one's turned things around. I think that one's a little different because it's live service it's more ongoing that would be like saying well Elder Scrolls Online is so much better than it used to be or Final Fantasy 14 is so much better than it ever was live service games kind of have to do that but you're right I think those are fair games to include only believe it because you shoot, shoot straight and show your work you're assuming how good it is now is the product they were selling you for 70 says Solemn the game you got on launch was what you were charged for. They have by choice improved it over time. Don't have to. Or didn't have to. Dubert says, People love the story of the person that beats their heroin addiction, but life is easier if you just don't get addicted to heroin in the first place. <laughs> True. That got dark, Zuby. That got dark. CD Projekt Red letting people skip ahead is equal to them admitting that the intro that's a ha- that it has a crappy intro. Well, here's what I think they're doing, Kenneth. I don't necessarily think it's admission that they have a crappy intro. There's a bias in me that wants to make that argument because I think the intro is terrible, <laughs> and and 
So there's a part of me that wants to be like, yep, CD Projekt Red, they agree their intro is terrible. What I think they're saying is, hey, a lot of you returning players come back. We want you to start fresh. And don't worry, if you start fresh, we'll let you jump right to Phantom Liberty. I I think it's more about that. I think it's more about like, we want to give returning players the ability to jump right in because they don't need these tutorials again. They don't need to go through brain dance again. Derek says, this is the direct opposite of your show yesterday. Today, I can barely believe how good the news is. Yesterday, I was in disbelief of how bad it was. Oh, and you were saying you only trust it because you know how much I researched the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yesterday was, was, was interesting. I think it's more they want them to experience the DLC. Witcher 3 did the same thing where you could start a new game and go straight to the DLC and skip the main story. Yeah, I think they have returning players in mind. They're thinking through, okay, it's best to have a fresh save. It's best not to have all that, all, all random potential permutations and skills and things and offshoots. It's, it's best to not have that. So let's, um, let's let returning players skip. I think they're worried about letting new players skip, which is probably why they don't let you skip if you just have update 2.0 and you don't have Phantom Liberty yet, they probably don't want new players skipping because they're worried there's a lot of valuable information in the open. The intro is fine the first time, but it's not replayable, says Abe. After the first time, I don't want to go back into it. You have to understand the risk you're taking when you buy a game at launch nowadays, says uh, JG from Space. That's just how the industry works now. It's been like that for years. It is what it is. uh, Zelator says, I don't understand the back and forth. I'm level 31, and I started 2.0, played for two days, all the new attributes I could get a level 31 I'll tell you what happened Zelator CD Project Red was out here telling everybody that the best way to experience it was to start over and so a lot of us did and we were like wait a minute the tutorial hasn't changed there's no way to skip the tutorial like oh you can skip that once Phantom Liberty comes out and I was like oh well then I, I'll stop playing then I was literally starting over because it was my understanding their original interviews about this. They said, you're going to have to get to about 10 hours into the game. You're going to, you're going to have to hack through all this stuff. And then you'll be able to, uh, to go to Dogtown. You'll be able to do Phantom Liberty. I read through at least two separate interviews, three total articles that I sourced from. And it said, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to get to a certain point in the game if you want to jump in. And so my plan was, okay, they're encouraging people to start with a fresh save. I'll start a fresh save, and I'll blast my way through all that stuff. I didn't do it on stream. I was going to do it over the weekend. I was going to, like, force myself to play to get through all of that, even though I don't like it. I don't think it's particularly very good content. I think it's, you know, it's getting you set up and ready to go. It's a little slow. It's a bit of a slog. I've even had big fans of the game say... It's like the worst part of the game. And I was going to do that over the weekend. The reason I didn't do it over the weekend is because the day that I said that, it became known that, oh, when Phantom Liberty comes out, you can just jump right to Phantom Liberty. You can skip right past the opening. And I said, oh, I'll do that then. So I played It Takes Two with my son, and I played Lies of P over the weekend. Like, that's what I did instead. Uh, I don't know what game I'm comfortable pre-ordering at this point. I need to know how it runs before I buy. It's such an interesting situation, especially when gamers talk like this in um, 
in YouTube chats and on Twitter. Yes, we'll be playing today. Our second show today is me playing Phantom Liberty. Yes. Um. So, you're the most plugged in out of every gamer alive. You're in the hemisphere of gamers that's the most plugged in. So, you don't really have an excuse of buying a game day one and getting really angry. You don't. All I'm hearing are your excuses to play Lies of P. <laughs> um, is the tutorial that long? You can explore Night City and do side quests as soon as you meet Johnny. Right, but the the, the opener again is just slow. Homie, I played for two hours uh, the other day and I had just gotten to brain dance. It's not fast. I was beelining. I accidentally clicked, oh yeah, sure, I'll do brain dance because I was like trying to just get through it. I didn't realize you could skip the brain dance thing. <laughs> I was, I, I, I'd only done it once and I wasn't, I'm not familiar with the game. So I was like, oh, I, I, I didn't know you could skip brain dance because I was literally trying to go as fast as I can through it. It's, it's not, it's not exactly quick. I was also trying to do what everybody said. I was trying to let the dialogue and trying to let the game itself wash over me. Like, all right, win me over. And I was actually enjoying the story quite a bit. Lies of P is good. You should all be playing it, honestly. I absolutely adore the perfect blocking in Lies of P. I'm not a big fan of all the status effects. I, like, that's why I think I prefer Sekiro out of all the Souls games that I've played. There's just something that I like more about... Just There's something more pure about you have dodge and you have block slash parry. <clears throat> and that's it. Like, I didn't even use Shinobi Arts in Sekiro. Because I just, I love going into a room and just, it's just me and my blade. I love that. That's my favorite part of Lies of P, is the perfect blocking, working up their, their, their stagger meter. I absolutely love that. It's so, so fun. The status effects... Uh, I don't, it's a preference thing. Some people love it. They love status effects. They think it's cool. They think it's cool to have like throwables. And like, I saw a guy the other day just cheese a boss. He had stacked up all these throwables and just kept throwing them at the boss. Eh, I, I, I really, really like the perfect block mechanic. That's what I, that's what I enjoy in the game. The status effects are kind of bumming me out. I'm not a fan. I was not familiar with the game. I just want to skip the tutorial. Are funny phrases they have in the same sentence? Well, within context, Chris, you know what I'm saying and communicating. What I'm saying is, is I wasn't familiar enough to know you could skip brain dance. I've only done it before. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't memorize game tutorials. I was like, oh, I didn't realize you could skip brain dance. But I was also trying to take people's advice. People's advice with Cyberpunk was. The beginning is really good. The dialogue is really good. And I was like, okay, I've changed a little bit as a gamer. I'm going to let the dialogue win me over. I'm going to play this game, and I'm really going to try to like soak in what everybody's saying. And I actually was enjoying it. I was enjoying the dialogue sequences and the characters more than I had previously. And then I just made the mistake of like, I wasn't looking. I'm looking at chat, and I'm clicking through the dialogue because I'm just trying to get through it. Because at that point, I'm sitting in a chair. We're not having, like, a serious conversation. I'm just, like, sitting in a chair. And I, like, accidentally threw myself into the brainwave tutorial. And I was like, oh, I, would, I didn't know you could skip it. So th- that's not even the main point. The main point is, is that if you've played through the Cyberpunk tutorial at least once, skipping it is, it's ideal. You don't really need to do it again. 
if you've already played the game prior to 2.0, you should be able to skip the prologue and tutorials. You're not going to want to do the same thing again when you know it. Right, as long as you have the achievement, I'm, I'm assuming there's an achievement after the heist, as long as you have that achievement, the game should just say, oh, hey, you, you 2.0 lets you skip past all this if you'd like to just start right here. Buying Phantom Liberty lets you do that anyway, so what's the big deal? Like, it's... It's, a, it's hilarious to me that like I got pushback on this when the literal expansion is designed to give you the precise thing that I asked for. Like, to the letter. I was like, I just want to get after the, after the heist. I just want to get after this opening. A 5-bomb comes in from Ron M. And the 5-bomb is Jin Sakai. Thank you so much. Taking us to 11 members on the day. The halfway point to the 25. You guys have got a ways to go before September ends. We need about 700 members to hit the goal of 3,000. And Ron M. gets us a little bit closer. I wish they had a skip like God of War Ragnarok had the short video for God of War 2018. Yeah, I actually I'm, I disagree with people about the Jackie montage. I had I've had people say that they don't like that. They wish that we could go do all those missions. I actually love the Jackie montage. It, it was the second time I had seen it, and I liked it even more. I was like, I love this. This is so smart to do the sort of here's this person that you meet. And you don't really know what you think about each other. And then they're like, okay, time lapse. Your buddies. Your your partners. I I love it. I actually would love more games to implement time lapse montages to establish good character backstory. Because Ghost of Tsushima wins me over with this amazing dramatic opening. What would have been amazing in Tsushima is Well, they do this throughout, so I guess they do achieve this. But a montage of Jin, like, from basically every flashback with his uncle in one montage would be really powerful. They do it throughout the the game, and it's extremely impactful, so that's not a good example. But that's just a game I can think of, of where the opening is so good, and then... I'll give you a better example. So Jin, throughout the game is interacting with different characters like the monk and like the woman and like the guy with the bow he's like my favorite the guy with the bald head and the and the, and the bow he he's like uh, Ishikawa I think is his name they I would love montages with those characters that would be really cool like whenever you meet them there's like this brief like freeze frame black and white and then it wipes and then you get like flashback memories of how long have you known this person? Because then you have all that relational capital to say vengeance is not the way. Revenge is not the way. Like Jin is battling with like the path of peace and wanting to do what's right and just, but also that that internal turmoil of I want vengeance, I want revenge. That game speaks to such a deep part of me for very uh very, very uh personal reasons. Yeah, Ishikawa. Yeah, I love I love Ishikawa. So that would be really strong and impactful. That's one of the things I love about Cyberpunk is like, I'm immediately, I just love Jackie. I'm like, this is awesome. I, the, the montage is very effective. It's, I think it's just very good storytelling. I like the Jackie montage, but if I'm playing the game from the start, I'd rather play through those things than watch them. There'd be more of a connection to Jackie. 
I'll say this, Siege Master. I would, I would be open to the criticism of saying, you know what they could have done is they could have had you go on a couple missions with Jackie that served as tutorials. So it was a little bit more of the content loop baked into the tutorial. But the problem is when you have to explain systems and mechanics, you can't really do that. And the other issue is, is they have they have to spend all this time explaining and taking you through a brain dance tutorial, and it's not even a major aspect of the game. Like it's just such a weird resource dump. Chapter eight says, "What's the default world state when you skip? Because there are a few decisions you make, such as where to send Jackie's body. Uh, only one choice um, leads to you getting some of his stuff. I don't actually know. It you start right after the heist." If you mainline the story, you get like an hour with Jackie total, which kind of sucks. Yeah, and I think when you make a really good character, you make a really good compelling character and, you know, you become friends and then something happens, right? Like, you want to have that. I think that could be more impactful. Nice spoiler. I mean, if you're going to be in a cyberpunk stream about the expansion three years after the game release, you, you, you're going to get spoilers. What? You? <laughs> uh, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> Quick spoiler for you who hadn't played yet. Ah. I think the convo is reinforcing everything I was concerned about. How is it? What's it reinforcing, Eugene? Jeff says, There are companies that I also choose to not support, but I don't hate on others uh, that don't agree, says JG from Space. There's a vendor that will sell you all of the iconic weapons. It's three years old, F spoilers. Yeah, you can't really control spoilers this far out. Jackie could have been uh, the one to deliver the tutorials. I think that had been a better delivery for the tutorials. Well, here, if I'm if I'm CD Projekt Red and I'm trying to understand what they were trying to do, I think what they were trying to do is sort of interweave the systems into the characters themselves. It's real easy. Like, think about the combat tutorial that Jackie has you do. It's super mechanical, right? It's like it's like a bunch of crash test dummies in a very neutered environment. You know, you're just in like a you're just like a, in a training simulator. Well, let's just say that you went on a bunch of missions with him and you learned about all these all these systems and you learned about all this stuff. Well, then it's just sort of you and him, and then eventually, right? You know, he's going to exit stage left, and then it's just you. So I think. The director of the game probably thinks whoever you know whoever's in charge of all of this is thinking, well, it'd be better if the actual tutorial missions have you interacting with major players in the story, so that the world is slowly kind of coming alive as one whole piece. There are there are times where you'll play a game and like the intro and the tutorial almost feels like a a sliced off demo or something it doesn't feel connected to the main game like main credit rolls up the music rolls up and you're like oh now I'm in the actual game and it feels extremely disconnected they went for more of an organic experience which I think is commendable I think it's cool but I also think after one one time you're like okay that's enough I, I you know I'd like to get to the main game now please even people that love the game have agreed with me on this. They're like, I, it just takes too long. 
Eugene says, correct me if I'm wrong. You basically implied that someone who was super plugged in should have known Cyberpunk was problematic day one when it was impossible to know because of the way they handled reviews. How? What do you mean, Eugene? Watch streamers. If you would have waited 24 hours after launch date, you didn't have an excuse. We... We knew within the day that it launched that there was massive problems. There was memes on Reddit. There was memes on Twitter. There were streamers highlighting it. What are you talking about? Now, now you're getting at the heart of a bigger problem, Eugene. You're getting at the heart of the problem of the review meta in games media. We have a problem as gamers that the solution will not be an easy one. The solution would be sort of a bucking of the system and and trying and you're not going to get this but like trying to get these these game companies to you know to work with outlets that would be working on a more uh neutral or less bias laden way you're never going to get that (laughs) they they don't want to they don't want to work with they don't want to work with outlets that are going to try to come up with some sort of a scoring metric that's more that's more neutered or more uh, more fair. That's not what they want. That's not what they want. They have their own interests. So the review the review meta within gaming is in and of itself a bit of a problem. But I also think that if you wait forty eight hours, like what's your freaking hurry? What's your hurry? They limited review copies. They had a longer embargo, a longer embargo for old gen. They handed out copies late. They basically defrauded the public. I'm not. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to you as the gamer right now. I'm not. I'm not trying to go back three years and say you should have known better. I think maybe you're extending what I said beyond where I was talking. I'm talking about right now. Right now. As gamers, you're plugged in. You're on YouTube. You've got no excuse jumping into a game day one and then getting angry that it's not any good. You got Twitch. You got YouTube. You got live streams on every corner of of the internet, every street corner of the internet. You can watch somebody play a game at launch. You have no excuse. You want to go back to when Cyberpunk launched? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about going forward. You, there, there is no impulse. Now, you about, oh, if I pre-order, I get all the good stuff, and then I get early access. Yeah, do you want to know why they're doing that? They're trying to combat the fact that the day the game launches, you can see it in its entirety. That's an era that gaming is trying to wrangle to the ground. We're in an era of gaming where as soon, I mean as soon as that game is live, you can see the entire game online for $0. Yes, I'm scheduling the Phantom Liberty gameplay right now. We're going to go to it in about 44 minutes. That's why I open with, correct me if I'm wrong. Right, Eugene, I, I don't have the sharpest memory with how everything happened with Cyberpunk. But my memory is we knew extremely quickly that something was wrong. It wasn't like it took a week 
It wasn't like a bunch of people. You, you like were like, think of it this way: there wasn't like a bunch of people being patient and were misled, and then therefore they bought the game in that opening week and like couldn't get a clear picture. If you were watching streamers, if you were paying attention to YouTube when that game launched. Now, I think your pushback would be the hype machine was up and running. The reviews were up and running. Everybody was talking about this game was so amazing. So everybody thought it had this stamp of approval. So they went out and bought it in confidence. Well, your issue is not necessarily with the developer or the publisher. Your issue is with a a complacent or capitulating news media or gaming news media. Do we really, how much evidence do we need that the video games media is a joke? They're a joke. Journalistic malpractice virtually every other day when something happens, lack of integrity, lack of proper research, they won't correct bad, they will not correct bad headlines or bylines, they will not not go back and fix articles, they won't, they won't, the video games, you know, journalism, it, it doesn't exist anymore, you have a bunch of content creators in disguise, They might as well be YouTubers farming for AdSense and ad revenue by going like this on their thumbnail. Like, they might as well be doing that. Like, that's what most games games journalists are doing. They're they're simply blogging for ad revenue. There's no journalistic integrity. There's no investigative reporting. There's no correcting of, of bad... Of, of misleading headlines or misleading bylines. They won't even go back and correct statements about, like, Chris Avalone. Like Chris Avalone wins a seven-figure lawsuit, gets public retractions from the two women, the two liars, and none of the gaming outlets will go back and correct the record, and they won't even report on it. Why? Because they are cowards, and they do not have integrity. So if you're going to go back and be like, oh, man... Cyberpunk defrauded the company. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't do it on their own. It's not like CD Projekt Red just completely did it in a vacuum. They had full-on, sold-out cooperation from the gaming news outlets and the gaming news media. Because they're sellouts. There is no gaming journalism anymore. And anybody that attempts to speak about things factually or speak about things with integrity, well, they just get maliciously attacked. Why? Well, because these outlets are, I guarantee you, I guarantee you these outlets are in on some of the astroturfing that happens. Look at look at every time I get attacked. They always use the same screenshot from the same article. Here's all these false claims from 2020 about this guy. They all have the same screenshot. Why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think I get astroturfed every time I I have a take that people don't like or I get a little too I get a little too uh, a little snippy. What do I get? I get astroturfed by people. So the, the the right now if you're paying attention then you don't you don't really have an excuse. Like, you should be able to watch YouTube and streamers and know exactly what a game is like day one. Public opinion on Cyberpunk has changed since then because a lot of people have played the game and enjoyed it. That's why there's Hyper Phantom Liberty. It's not kind of some conspiracy. Eugene's not saying it's a conspiracy at all. Eugene says the yellow chairs are a meme because those people praised the game before release. Of course they did. 
Of course they did because they're they're playing they're playing ball. You you'll never remove this reality. This is this is a problem that I don't even know the solution for. The problem is the minute you're labeled a troublemaker, the minute you're quote unquote blacklisted, you will never get a review code. You won't. I know this firsthand. Even before I got canceled in 2020, I got blacklisted. I got uninvited to events. Why? Because all it takes is a phone call or an email or a text message from the right person, and you're done. You are done. And once it happens, it just crumbles from there. So all these YouTubers and all these outlets, they're all like this. Their, their, their industry, their brand, what they do, they need to be able to drop day one embargo reviews, day one embargo, you know, talking points or whatever it is, they need to be able to do that. And if they want to do that, they have to play ball. They are essentially captive to a quid pro quo, an unspoken quid pro quo. They're all captive to it. It's why they astroturf and attack people that aren't in that scenario. It's why people get maligned and labeled and, and framed as as shills or framed as whatever. Why? Because you'll pay close attention. You'll notice something. The more free somebody is to say what they think, right? The more free somebody is to just say what they think and to speak their mind, the more they get attacked and maligned. And it's typically by the same groups, the same circles. They all say the same thing. It happens to it happens to Colin Moriarty all the time. He gets labeled as all these things. Why? Because he's not beholden to these companies. He didn't give a frick. What are you going to do to him? He doesn't. He doesn't need your games. He doesn't need early access to your games. And the more people that do that, the more people that get to that level, the more strength we'll have in the market as consumers. We need to be lifting up the people that don't play according to the rules and say, oh yeah, we'll do exactly what you tell us to do. We'll, we'll, we'll spin everything into a positive. Now, frick that. Those people are intellectually and morally bankrupt. You should not be supporting outlets who clearly are have sold the soul of their honesty to these companies. You shouldn't be supporting that at all. You should be supporting the people that even even if they say things that you don't agree with, the mark of a trustworthy source is somebody who is speaking their mind and what they think without fear of reprisal or repercussions. So like, this is what I think. I don't care if a developer and a publisher won't work with me or send me a code. I don't care. I'm going to do everything I can to build a scalable business model that doesn't need that. And you as the consumer should be seeking to support that effort, not just here, but anywhere you see it, to stamp out. Listen, some of these organizations, some of these outlets, they're going to be gone in seven years because they're not sustainable. And a lot of them are clearly not trustworthy. Their day, their their day in the sun already has an expiration date on it. So if you feel that sense of frustration with like how Cyberpunk launched and how the gaming media handled it, now is the turning point. Don't you feel it? It's like every other week there's some story about like, well, they really try to control who could play and review Starfield. And look at the astroturfing in the wake of Starfield's score going down. What's everybody say? Oh, it's review bombing. Really? Oh, it's not review bombing. The port's really bad. Everybody has talking points ready to like defend the game. Why? That's basically the marching orders. 
The marching orders are a priori position. It's a good game. Anybody that breaks from the fact that it's a good game is a liar, uh, is a review bomber, uh, is a whatever, and they shouldn't be trusted. So they're creating this us versus them scenario where the hand-picked outlets, oh, they're the ones that are trustworthy, not the hundreds of thousands of people that can review the game on the actual Steam database, not those people. Do you have any idea the, the, the massive amount of the, the literal army of people that you would need to review bomb a game on Steam? Do you, do you have any idea? 58,000 reviews for Starfield on Steam. Do you have any idea how many people you would need to actually successfully review bomb that game? It's, it's mathematically untenable. You couldn't do it. And if you go read the reviews, they're mostly people with 30 plus, 50 plus, hundreds of hours that are saying, I, I can't recommend this game. It's not any good. But you're being told it's getting review bombed. You're being told that, oh, it's because of a bad port. None of that's true. You can't substantiate that. Take on the mind of Sherlock Holmes. Act like Sherlock Holmes. Be like, okay, this is the claim that's being made. Let me go see if I can fact find and substantiate this. Nice red badge, Table JFK. Did we get it? Did you re up, or is that just it? Just took to this day to do it. So if you don't feel that tension, it just happened again with Cyberpunk. Cyber CD Projekt Red tells the outlets that were given access to Phantom Liberty they can only use B-roll. There it is, 24 months in a VIP, two-year badge assemble. Thank you, Table JFK. Like, if... It's mostly people with less than two to ten hours. Come on, this narrative's tired. No, your narrative's tired. We looked the other day at the reviews, and I went to negative review types. Negative review types. Your narrative is tired. 53 hours, 26 hours, 26 hours, 69 hours, 194 hours, 7 hours, 123 hours, 169 hours, 51 hours, 40 hours. What are you even talking about? Most people with less than two to ten hours, really? Again, what what are you what are you actually talking about? What you're saying is you can't substantiate it if you go and try and research it. You can't. Where where are all these little one and two hour reviews? Where are they? What are you talking about? Where? That's not statistical analysis. Where are you getting your statistical analysis that most of the negative reviews on Steam are 2 to 10 hours? Where? Even if most of the negative reviews fall in 2 to 10 hours, what? how is that a review bomb? You know what a review bomb is, right? A review bomb would be somebody buying the game, reviewing it, and then refunding it. That's a review bomb. Anybody that gets past two within two to ten hours is not a review bomb. What are are you actually talking about? Yeah, we did it the other day. We looked at the positive reviews, and a ton of the positive reviews were receive the review copy in one to two hours. I found more people there at that threshold. 
you, like that's what I'm saying. You're getting astroturfed. You're getting told stuff that isn't true. Like the fact that there's ray tracing in Starfield. That's another great one we saw the other day. What are you even talking about? Where's the integrity? Where's the honesty? A review bomb would literally be somebody buying the game, reviewing it, and then refunding it. That's a review bomb. Because the return window is two hours. Okay, J-Dog, you have made a claim. Substantiate it with facts. You said that most of them were in the two to ten hour mark. Substantiate that with evidence. Someone analyzed it, but whatever, I'm going to get flamed. Someone analyzed it. Who? Who analyzed it? And again, two to ten hours would mean they can't refund the game. Meaning, they played long enough to say... Nah, dude, not for me. This is not for me. You haven't substantiated either. You cherry pick a few top reviews. How long do you want me to scroll? How long? Also, that's an incredible dodge to the question. How long do you want me to scroll before we find anybody under 10 hours? Let's just do it. I'm looking. Let's just see how long it takes us. There we go. 8 hours, 6.4, 3.8. None of these people can refund the game. This is not a review bomb. This is not a review bomb. They can't even refund the game. Let's keep scrolling. Let's see if we can find a single person who played fast enough to refund the game. Because that would be... Here's someone with 200 hours. Let's just keep going. Let's just see how long it takes us to find somebody who actually could... We we could say is a measurable review bomb. 3.6, can't refund. 4.3, can't refund. Let's just keep going. You're saying I'm cherry picking. Brother, I'll scroll till my finger falls off. 4.3 hours, can't refund. Let's just keep going here. 4.3, can't refund. Here we go. We found somebody. And and they haven't even refunded it. Doesn't it say, doesn't it actually say that they, they refunded it? If they refunded it, wouldn't it say that on the review somewhere? We found one person that could refund the game if they want. And I believe it says it on their review if they did refund it. 2.4, 2.4, can't refund. 1.3, can refund. I don't see any evidence of a refund here. Yes, it says if you've refunded. Okay, so we're literally finding people who have enough hours to refund and they have not refunded. Let's keep going. We have a whopping three people. Here's two hours. I don't see evidence of a refund. Where does it say it? Where does it say it? Again, look how many times I scroll before we find somebody who could even refund it. Here's one, 1.8. I don't see evidence of a refund. Do I have to click on their review? Where does it say it? I don't see it. I've seen it before on a review. It says it like right on it. Can you not filter refunded? I'm just showing the vast majority of the people that we're looking at. 60, 106, 108, 8.4, 79, 86, 45, 4.1, 20. You want to accuse me of cherry picking? Look how far I've scrolled. You want to scroll back up? Mm, 
done. I found four people, four to five people, who maybe could have refunded and didn't. So if you're going to say, well, the vast majority are in the two to ten, it's getting review bombed. People are review bombing and refunding. Where? Where are they? How long do I have to scroll before I get there? I've got people with over 100 hours, over 50 hours, over 200 hours. The point is, whether it's Cyberpunk or whether it's Starfield, stop accepting astroturfing. You're accepting you're accepting a narrative. You're not accepting reality. It, it like it when you find people who have this prior commitment to oh yeah, it's a great game. So anybody that breaks from this must be you know not telling the truth or lying or whatever. Look at what happened with Cyberpunk. Same thing happened with Cyberpunk. You had all these glowing reviews, all these positive reviews, and then what happened? As the dust settled on Cyberpunk, what happened? Yes, I was showing negative Fillmore three or Fillmore because people were claiming the negative reviews were in the two to ten hour range, like it was getting review bombed. Which two to ten hours doesn't even substantiate the claim of a review bomb because two to ten hours is non-refundable, which means they played past the refund point. That's not a review bomb. A review bomb is, game sucks, it's bad, bleh. They do it on Metacritic. They don't own the game. They've never touched the game. Somebody who's played anywhere from 2 to 10 hours is not review bombing the game. They, they played it past the point of refund. They haven't even refunded it. The four to five people we saw in that threshold of time... No, I'm sorry. They were below that threshold of time. We found a few people under two hours. They hadn't even refunded the game. That, that Again, if you're going to make a claim, substantiate it. Also, we have people out here claiming uh, it's it's uh, it's bad. It's getting bad reviews on Steam because it's a bad PC port. Alex is, oh no, it's Alex is saying that on Twitter. I don't know how he substantiates that. We scrolled through people with 20, 30, 50, and 100, and 200 hours. Those people are giving it a negative score because it's, it's a bad port? Who plays a bad port that long? In, 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 in my experience, bad ports like hmm, The Last of Us, they get eviscerated and refunded. They don't get played for hundreds of hours. You can't substantiate the claim that this thing's scoring poorly on Steam because it's a bad port when the lion's share of the of the reviews are in the double digits of hours and they're not refunding the game. They're not refunding the game. 40 hours, 50 hours, 200 hours. That's another that's another narrative talking point that I don't believe you can substantiate. There's no evidence this thing's scoring the way that it is because it's a bad port. How is a game developed on PC a port? That's the thing I don't even know. I that was my question was wait, this is a port? Since when? <laughs> Since when is something in the creation engine a port? Uh, Sven says, out of those sub 10 hour players, I wonder how many of them have completed the tutorial achievement. 
Starfield was developed for PC. That's what I mean. Can we even substantiate the claim that Starfield was ported to PC? Is that even something that we can substantiate? Like, what are we even talking about? What are we what are we doing? It's getting a middling score. We can't you, you like you can hand wave and come up with any narrative points you want. It, it's got a 72% in the Xbox store, but I'm sure that's because it's a bad port. Like, what are we even talking about? After what happened with Cyberpunk, you should be 100% on guard for this kind of thing. Starfield's not the last game or even the first game to do this. We're going to control who gets the game. We're going to control what the public thinks. And then, after that, in the wake of that, anybody that breaks from this will be seen as review bombing, hating, right? You can just astroturf the negativity out of here. You just name call. I'm just a... Like, Reforge Gaming is just a Starfield hater. He's done nothing but hate on the game. Do you ever wonder why all those people are saying that? It's a talking point. They're astroturfing. They've lo- I'm not I'm not even kidding you. This isn't conspiracy theory. There's a reason they're all saying it because it's being told to them in some capacity. It's not substantiated. You can't go to 50 plus live streams of Starfield coverage and say, "Yep, that's all this guy does is hate on the game." No, it's an astroturf talking point from a smear merchant, and they're all running with it. They're all, I guarantee you, in the coming weeks, if Starfield ever comes up and the review score on Steam ever comes up, that's what we're going to hear. Well, I heard it was review bombed. Well, I heard it. Yeah, people are trying to claim that it's a bad game. It's just a bad port. What the frick? What? No, none of those things are true. No, you can't substantiate those things with facts. Those are those are preformed narrative talking points. Those are not those are not real pieces of reality. So a great thing you can do with Phantom Liberty is don't take anybody's word for it. Play it. Play it, like, or, or, I'm sorry, not play it. Watch it. If you own the game, you can play it. You can play 2.0, and you can try out Cyberpunk. You can see if it's any good. You can see if the updates do what they promise. You can see if the game has turned a corner. Enter space for the first time achievement is 88%. That's the end of the tutorial. Wait, it's at 88% on Steam? <clears throat> but it's getting review bombed. This guy just tweeted, I still can't believe Bethesda didn't invest in a seamless loading system for Starfield, especially with SSDs being the standard, because not going to lie, as much as I like Starfield, playing Cyberpunk again is really putting in perspective just how out of date Starfield felt with all of its loading. That's a big Starfield fan. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen I've seen that account tweet about uh, in support of and celebrating Starfield quite a bit. <clears throat> Cross-gen games are better than next-gen only. 
Wait, which games are you referring to? There have been some pretty bad next-gen-only games. But not all of them. Man, if you look at a couple of them, you could really substantiate that position. (laughs) Gotham Knights was next-gen-only. Jedi Survivor was (laughs) next-gen-only. Redfall was (laughs) next-gen-only. You can really substantiate that position. I don't agree with you. But you could make a pretty compelling case. Man, a lot of these next-gen-only games, they blow. (laughs) They blow. Solemn says, Everybody in the stream has the ability to wait and buy a game and do more than enough research and review watching to determine uh, if you should spend your money on it. Most just let the impatience win. That's true. I agree. Cross-gen meant great performance on next-gen. Next-gen only has meant devs tried to do too much. You know, it's funny. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of that. We really are. We're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing that, like, the minute you're not on a cross-gen title, all of a sudden it's like, what'd you guys do to this game? I played the new update for 10 hours, and I wasn't that impressed, especially since I bought Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, now that... Uh, not that it's a bad game, just not for me. Oh, the, the, the update in Cyberpunk. I think that the update in Cyberpunk is going to shine when you skip ahead, I think. Because you played for 10 hours. If you, did you start over, Fillmore? Where were, where were you in the game? Did you start over or did you pick up wherever you were? Because I wonder if the ideal scenario is brand new save, skip ahead like and that's when people are like oh yes this this is how the game should feel like this is how cyberpunk should be experienced i'll go ahead and say if you want to be foolish with your money and buy into a game too early you're allowed to do that too you're allowed to have some silly fun these are games oh for sure FOMO and what what Solomon is saying is 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 so true FOMO really really d- drives really drives these purchases where people are like well I just I gotta be in there day one I don't want to miss out you're gonna want a fresh start for sure says Wild Mustang I think Spider-Man 2 will come out and blow away all the doubters saying that it's the next gen games that are the problem I haven't had a chance to watch Jaffe's video where he basically said that PlayStation has become too formulaic and I just I I would love to interview him about that and to ask him how many of the games that he play this gen like I want to ask him if he played Returnal to completion did he play Forbidden West and Ragnarok and Burning Shores to completion and Spider-Man 2 is not out yet so I'm like, I'm not, sh- I'm just not sure what formula you're talking about here. Because I've played all these games to completion, and I don't understand what you mean. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. What, what's this formula? You mean they made video games? Like I, I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know. Because formulaic game design is, I don't know, everywhere. Like, are we going to say that Starfield doesn't follow a formula? Because it does. It's Fallout 5 in space. Are we going to say that 
even cyberpunk are we gonna say it doesn't follow a formula where are these games that are not following a formula like what games are you talking about what games are shedding and and breaking the shackles of a formula Final Fantasy 16 doesn't follow a formula I've ever played before. I've never played a game like Final Fantasy 16. I can say that confidently because I've never liked a game like this before. I'm like, I don't really understand. Like, all games have a formula and a lane that they generally stay in. Everything is just Super Mario Brothers with better graphics. Why do we have to complete Returnal? It's kind of like me saying you didn't play Starfield long enough. No. Not true. You're not engaging with what I'm saying, Omega. If you're going to claim PlayStation has followed a formula in all these games, okay, did you play them? Did you play them to completion? No? Well, then what what are we talking about here? Like, if you're going to make a claim that all these restaurants just basically have the same menu... And I'm like, well, have you visited all of them? Have you ordered order, Have you ordered substantial amounts of all of the menus? No? Then what are you talking about? Like, I'm not making claims about Starfield that require me to play more. That would be like me saying, Starfield's story is predictable. It'd be like, what? You didn't play it. Starfield's ending is predictable. I, I didn't play it. I can't make those statements. When you make a statement... And I press against the statement and say, well, can you substantiate that? Can you can you substantiate that, they, that all these games are the same? Like, Spider-Man 2 is not even out yet, and we're saying that it's following the PlayStation formula? How do you know that? We haven't even played it. We've even been told that, like, the side quests are going to lead to story. Like, actual substantive story. That's not formulaic. That's a new idea. A lot of the times in these games, side quests are like, fetch them you know, bounties, chase them things. It's like, I, I genuinely don't understand what we're even saying. All games have a formula to a degree. And, and here's the other problem. Even if you can deduce the formula underneath, that doesn't mean that the game is then bad or tired or boring. Returnal and Starfield are completely different games. I wasn't comparing comparing Returnal to Starfield. I was saying, here's a first-party Sony title. What formula does it follow? What, what's what's the formula that Returnal follows that that is that is that is tired and they need to get away from? Like I played Ghost of Tsushima to completion, and it felt nothing like Forbidden West. Now, if you want to talk about there's this undercurrent of, well, it's an open-world game with missions and side quests. Okay? What? So what are you going to do the next time you play a first-person shooter? Are you going to complain the fact that it's a first-person shooter with missions and side quests? Like, what? Huh? What are we What are we saying? The next time you play a turn-based RPG, are you going to say that it's just another turn-based RPG? Don't you see? All games follow a formula to a degree. It doesn't matter what game it is. The formula doesn't take away from the creativity. It doesn't take away from the innovation, the storytelling, the artistry, the the work that goes into the writing and the dialogue and the voice acting. Like... Starfield is Bethesda's formula. That doesn't mean that people don't like the formula. Right! Like... 
I would never come at Starfield and say it's bad because it's formulaic. I would say no, it's bad because of all these other reasons. Like here's all the here's all the things I didn't like about it. Here's all the things I found disappointing. I'm just saying I'd like to interview him about it. I have way more questions. It's like what I don't wait wait what are we even talking about here? Doesn't game design in general that doesn't game design in general follow a formula? Like, Returnal follows the formula of a rogue. It does. Does that take away from how great Returnal is? Hades follows the formula of a rogue. There's an ocean of rogues available right now on Steam. Every other day, I would see a trailer for a game be like, that looks awesome. I hope it's a Metroidvania. And what would it be? It'd be a rogue. Every time. (laughs) Every time, without fail. Following the formula of a rogue doesn't take away from the game's quality. It doesn't take away from Hades or Hades 2 when it comes out. It doesn't. Like, when Silk Song comes out and it follows the formula of a Metroidvania, is everybody, is anybody going to say, yep, just another Metroidvania. We've had enough of these. No, nobody's going to say that. What are you going to do? You're going to judge it within itself. You're going to say, is Silk Song a good game? You might even say, is it a good Metroidvania? You might say that, but you're not going to immediately like dismiss it as it, uh, just another Metroidvania. Sony is treated, their first party studios are treated differently for some reason, and I can't make heads or tails of it. It's like, okay, what's the formula busting that the first party Xbox studios are doing? What is it? Did they, did they really, really bust up and get creative with their formula with uh, Halo Infinite? Did they? If you turn the resolution down, you could probably convince somebody it's an older Halo. It, it's Halo. Like, uh, did, did they break formula with Forza Horizon? Did they break formula with Redfall? Did they break formula with Starfield? 44% isn't full completed on Ghost. Isn't 100%. What are you saying, GPC? Are you literally trophy checking me? Because if you are, I will I will actually laugh at you if you're trophy checking me. When I complete a game, I'm not talking about being like trophy measurement weird ego. I'm saying I beat the game. I played through the game. I beat Jedi Survivor. Go check my trophies there too, I guess. Like, I don't trophy chase. I don't. I didn't trophy chase in Forbidden West. I didn't trophy chase in God of War Ragnarok. Those are games that I've beaten. Those are games that I've completed. I need. I still need to do a complete run through, a second, a second complete run through of Returnal, but I've done a complete run through of Returnal. You're going to trophy check me there too? You trophy checkers are freaking weird. Y'all are weird people. Like, I'll be like, man, I love games over here. Yeah, look at his trophy count. You're weird. <laughs> That'd be like saying, I really loved that movie or that show and they're like but you didn't watch the director interviews and you didn't watch the deleted scenes and you didn't watch the extended cuts on youtube through black hat download sites you're not a real fan what what are you even talking about you trophy checkers have the weirdest energy in gaming i've ever seen in my life I've played so many games in my life, and you know what I've never done? 
I've never went and checked for achievements or trophies. I've never done that. I'm like, that was a great game. That was really fun. Spider-Man, I did with Spider-Man. I went back. Well, I didn't go back. I'm sorry. Spider-Man, I did all of the little check marks on the the map. I probably don't have an impressive trophy count in Spider-Man. I just wanted green check marks on the map. (laughs) That's all I cared about. Like, I... I'm currently clearing the map in Tsushima when I have time, but I'm not going. I'm not going for trophies. I just like clearing the map. I like getting rid of, uh, rid of the question marks on the map. I trophy checking is the we- it's such weird energy. It's so weird. I don't get it at all. I have sixty six hours. Sixty six hours in Ghost of Tsushima. I have 130 hours in Elden Ring. Go check my trophies. I probably don't have very many. <laughs> 66 hours? In a game, but it's I'm not complete? I mean, clearing the map is the same as trophy hunting. It's completion energy. Right, but even clearing the map is different. That's more of like a visual aesthetic thing. That's more of like a oh, I really, I really would like to to see the map. You know, have all the check marks. That's different than going to like a trophy list and being like, kill seventeen enemies with a poison dart while crouching in tall grass on the north side of the map after six p.m. Got it. If that, I don't do that. I do not do that. I like. Trophy hunting has never appealed to me. I've never once done it. He 100% trophy checked you. I just did, and that's the number. <laughs> trophy, I, like I said, trophy checking is weird energy. It's just super weird energy. I don't get it at all. You can play a game for 66 to 100 hours and not put a dent into your trophy count. Because unless you specifically go do them, so many of the trophies you're never going to get. They're really specific a lot of the times. And look, if you love going for trophies, that's not weird energy. What's weird energy is checking people that don't. That's just bizarre. That's just weird behavior. You did you know you didn't get all the trophies in that game? No. Half those trophies are freaking weird. They had me using weapons or builds or attack styles that I don't even like. It's like use this weapon against this enemy eight times. I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound very fun. I love that your community is just a bunch of people who tune in to argue with you. <laughs> That's such a good summary. We do. We like to argue. You ever have really good arguments with like your cousins or your brothers or something? I don't I don't have a problem with people that trophy hunt. I said trophy checking. Trophy checking is weird energy. You say you beat that game? Yeah, I was up like 60 something hours in it. You got 44%. What? I have 44% of what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like what? Who cares about that? I get the trophy checking when someone is fact checking someone for saying they completed a game. Right, like if I say I completed the game and you're looking for the trophy that proves that, 
that's totally fine. If I told you guys right now, oh yeah, man, I already beat that game. I already beat that game. <laughs> I already beat Liza P. Trophy check it. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I got to Archbishop. All right. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I might go, I might go do New Game Plus in Jedi Survivor. <laughs> that's more my that's more my vibe of game here, you know? Souls games and I have a unique relationship. So yes, if I claim I've beaten a game and you check the trophy and I haven't beaten a game, that's totally legitimate. You know, whether it, you know, whether it's any of the games I've I've put a lot of time into, whether it's, you know, Returnal, Tsushima, Elden Ring, you know, I probably have almost no trophies in Forbidden West because I had to beeline uh, Forbidden West because I was getting ready for Elden Ring. I didn't, I couldn't like camp out in Horizon Forbidden West and and play completion style. I'm gonna go back to that game one day. I know I will. I was playing it with my son with the co-pilot feature, and it was so freaking fun. It was really really fun. Are you still tight with Alex? I don't have a problem with Alex. Oh, I guarantee you I got clipped earlier. He's out here claiming that the Steam score of Starfield's low because it's a bad port. I think he's wrong. I don't think he can substantiate his position. I don't think he can. I think if he goes to Steam user scores and review scores and he goes fact-finding and he tries to substantiate that claim, I believe he will fail in that endeavor. I don't believe you can support that position. I can disagree with him and say that his position's wrong and, and, and not have a personal issue with him. I don't know why he's acting like Starfield score is low for that reason. I don't understand. Like I, that that's not the vibe I got from any of the Steam reviews I've looked at. Now the Xbox Store, he might be right. If you buy or play Starfield through the Xbox Store on PC, the majority of those negative reviews were having problems, and I that's probably the stupid Xbox store. I meant because he went after MBG quite hard. I'm never going to tell Alex what to do with his content, but I think people need to start considering the psychological ramifications of constantly roasting, making fun of, and mocking people on the internet. What are we going to do one day if somebody like MBG just gets tired of the hate, gets tired of being salted, memed on, hated on, mocked, attacked, and one day he's gone. We wake up and there's a news report. What are we going to think then? I think that's going to make the content hit a little different, isn't it? We rallied and mocked this guy, made fun of this guy, false framed his statements, articles were written about him. Right, constantly attacked him, constantly misrepresented him. You know, you got Jez Corden saying that MBG built his his channel on hating on Xbox. That's not true. That's not true at all. What would that what does that feel like, do you think, when you've worked really hard to grind and you got a YouTube channel and you're on the verge of a hundred thousand subscribers and you get misrepresented, misframed, attacked, mislabeled, name-called. You have somebody who writes for a respected outlet saying that you built your channel hating on Xbox. What do you think that does to somebody's psychology, their mental health? A lot of these content creators live, live very isolated lives. They live very isolated lives. What do you think that does to a person? Didn't MBG start with Xbox? Did he name anybody? 
Did he pull anybody up on his stream and name call, mock, and jeer at? No. Somebody clipped him and framed it as he's jealous of these people. Did he name them? Did he go after them? Did he mock them? Did he name call them? Did he pull them up on a stream and let a live audience just eviscerate them? Did he do that? I'm just I'm just curious because we've just accepted that that's okay. It's just totally fine and totally normal. It's culturally pathological the way that we treat people. It's like, well, I don't agree with what this guy said about this brand. Therefore, it's totally fine to mock, satirize, name call, misrepresent, misframe, eviscerate. I mean, maybe one day he wakes up and he self-deletes because we won't leave him alone. We make everything personal because we have unresolved mental health problems on our own. And so we pour that out on this guy because we don't like his takes about our brand. And if he wakes up one day and he decides, I can't take it anymore, I'm out of here, what are you going to do then? You're going to make a video about that? You're going to pull that article up and laugh about it and jeer about it? You're going to quote tweet it and say, well, he built his, his channel on bashing Xbox. What are y'all going to do when the rubber meets the road and your nonsensical carte blanche open season bullying of people? What are you going to do when it results in something tragic? Because it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first time. I have a family. I have a support system. I have a faith. I have a producer. I have all of these levies keeping me from the abyss of darkness that this industry will cast you down into. And people do it with a smirk on their face and they make money while they're doing it. And I think it's despicable. I think it's embarrassing. I don't think you're men. I think you're children stuck in extended adolescent behavior thinking that it's funny to misrepresent name call and eviscerate people to to bring up bs from my past that's not even true and constantly hurl it in my face why because i say things about the brand that you like and that's upsetting to you grow the frick up dk beggar with a gifted member This is getting clipped. I don't care. I don't care. The meta, the meta of extended adolescent men bullying and mocking and attacking people on the internet, that meta only has one end. And it's a tragic one because it's a tale as old as time. When you pick at a wound long enough, something bad will happen. When you circle around and you go after people day in, day out, day in, day out, eventually something tragic will happen. It's happened before, and we all just forget. We all just move on and think, well, it's, it's satire. No, you're cruel, and you hide your cruelty under the guise of its satire. It's like sarcastic people that are really just deep down inside. They're just a-holes. And they've never really come to grips with their own social ineptitude. So they're just constantly cutting in sarcastic because they're just not a nice person. 
all people do is self-report. When you constantly want to pull up a screenshot of an article about me from 2020 that are false claims that were disproven, and you want to hurl that in my face, you're just self-reporting on how despicable you are. You constantly want to cling to some past image of me. You're captive by your own past, more than likely. So, no, I don't. Fu- I don't. I don't support that kind of content, and I don't care what people do with their channels. But I'm putting up a caution sign, and I'm saying I don't think y'all know what you're doing. I don't think you know what you're doing to other people. You think it's funny. You think it's all giggles and super chats. You think it's great. But the reality is, this has a very, very damaging effect on people. And what will be eternally and long-tailed damning is that you made money while doing it. So, I, you know, I, I, I hope people can sleep at night. Like, you make money damaging and attacking the mental health of other people that's what you do wear it proudly do it you got blood on your hands even if the people don't completely go off the deep end and do something tragic you've got blood on your hands because you give people all sorts of internalized trauma and anxiety and depression and frustration and anger you do that you put that energy out into the world world and you make a buck while doing it so i hope it's worth it i hope paying your bills is worth hurting other people and typically, I only get this sanctimonious in members, but it's so fitting as we talk about cyberpunk and we talk about the astroturfing and we talk about the misrepresentation of the product when it came out and consumers feeling like they can't trust the media. It's so in line with that. It's like this big illusion that people try to live. This, this We have the Instagramification of reality, but then in video games, we have this weird, just bizarre, childish, bully-like extended adolescent behavior that we think is funny because we label it like salt or satire. And the main reason I don't get involved is because of my own personal beliefs and what I what I what I aim and what I want to do, what I want to champion with my brand, right? That's why I don't get involved. It's like I, I'm never going to throw somebody's content up on my channel and react and call them a name or mock them or respond to these people. Like I don't want to put gas on the fire that they try to spread. I don't. I don't. But I don't know. I I, I at least am going to stand for what I think is right. And I feel like people are going way too far with it. And they think it's so, so funny. They think it's hilarious. They think it's entertainment. Yeah, I saw the people claiming that there's ray tracing in Starfield. There's That's not true. Ten spot from World Renowned. 
Listen, we've got to we've got to shift gears to gameplay. We have not missed this goal since November of last year. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to hit this. We only need 13. Let's hit 25. We'll go into the new stream. I'll gift the 5 that I owe you. I didn't anticipate getting here, but the whole the whole theater, it's just the the, the theater of of that I'm constantly constantly getting tried to get pulled into it, and I'm just freaking tired of it. So, I'd rather stand and say, "No, I'm judging you. I'm not. I'm not getting involved, but I am judging you, and I and I hope y'all are ready for what may happen because I don't. I don't think the current trajectory that we're on is a healthy one. I don't think it's good. Thanks so much for the gifted members, Zubair and Twenty Behemoth. Behemoth says we need a big one, and he does it. Unbelievable. That takes us to 33 Gemini Christmas behemoth he's like we're not missing it not on my watch Woo! I've heard astroturf and I'm not sure what it means so astroturfing is when you quietly it's it's like a grassroots movement that's artificial it's astroturf so you've heard the term grassroots right there's this grassroots movement everybody's supporting this local indie band or something AstroTurf is a fake grassroots movement. What it means is, is they go to all these people and they're like, hey, make sure everybody's saying this talking point, right? They do it to me all the time. They all have the exact same screenshot of the exact same article. False claims about me from 2020. So-and-so accused of this. They all, they all use the same screenshot. Why? Because they're all privately AstroTurfing me anytime they feel like I kind of step out of line, which is abusive behavior, Right. That's the mind of an abuser. You're doing something I don't like. I'm going to inflict pain on you. These are these are abusive people. They're they're disgusting people. Like that's why I say they self-report. If that's your mindset of this guy did something I don't like, I'm going to inflict pain on him. You're an abuser. Like that's that's an abusive person. That's the mindset of an abuser. I stop behavior that I don't like with pain. Then that's what they do to me. They don't like what I say. They don't like my positions. So they inflict pain on me. A single gifted member from DK Baker and then Sorcerer comes in with a 10 bomb. Thank you so much. That takes us all the way to 44. So that that's that's why I say it's astroturfing. Like it's hard for not for me to not see. It, it's like it's not a coincidence that every time I upset that side, that image gets circulated. It's it's like they're circulating it somewhere. Somebody I don't know if there's a Discord. I don't know if somebody just DMs it to them. I don't know. But there's just apparent astroturfing anytime Reforged Gaming steps out of line or Reforged Gaming does something we don't like, inflict pain on him. And they don't do it themselves. None of the big players will do it. It's always the little guys. It's always like the little the little accounts all start circulating the image. And it's like, gee, I wonder where they got that image. In this instance, it's basically brand dedicated content makers pushing a narrative down onto their fans. I just looked you up on Twitter and I was trying to find your account. There's a guy live hate tweeting the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll take those tweets and they'll put those into videos. They'll put those into articles. It's. They false frame you. And then anytime you say anything, they'll revert back to the false frame. They'll say, well, this guy deserves it. 
all he's ever done is hate on Xbox. He deserves this. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not reality. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, what, what are you talking about? That the, the, the idea that we can mistreat you, we can harass you, we can mock you, make fun of you, call you names. We can do all this because you hate on Xbox. Let's just say that I did that. Let's say that's all my channel was. It's not It's not true. But let's just say that's what I was doing. I booted up every single day and I was just like, headline, you know, Xbox garbage, Xbox trash. Let's say that I did that. Does that mean I'm worthy of vicious attacks, harassment, lies, defamation, slander? It, th- that's all okay, right? Right? Well, because I hate on Xbox, that's okay. Do you know what they're doing when they say that? They're self-reporting. They've so fully integrated into their identity with Xbox that when you attack Xbox, they feel attacked. They take it personal. They lack the mental clarity to see that Xbox is just another brand. Like, if I dedicated an entire channel to talking about the fact that I really, really hate Sprite... Would anybody care? Would anybody come after me? No, because nobody has integrated their identity into the brand of Sprite. Now, my son might get really upset because he loves Sprite right now. It's like his favorite drink. And we let him have it because there's no caffeine. Right? He can have, like, the little cans. He can have, like, one a day. He might get upset. But if, if I had an entire channel dedicated to just Sprite sucks, their business practice sucks, sucks, I hate their branding, I hate the flavor of their, their soda, what would people say? Like, that's kind of a weird channel, but okay, bro. Nobody would come after me at a personal level. See, that's the thing everybody always misses in this power exchange. It's, you said something about Xbox, personal attack. It's like, wait a minute, I don't understand. If I say something about Xbox you don't like, why don't you just engage with that? Why don't you just engage with what I said? My argumentation. Instead, you clip snipe, you rip things out of context, you tell everybody that I think The Last of Us is an RPG, when that's not what I was saying. I was saying that it's not. Like, But that's what we do. Like That's that's the behavior of, of the... Of the soundbite hate culture on Twitter. Well, I gotta get clicks and I gotta get likes, so I'll sell my soul to lies and dishonesty, because if I rail against this stranger on the internet, well, I'll get I'll get clicks and likes. Selling your soul to the devil for likes and clicks and money. Like, just what? It's, really? A single, gifted member from Ward Huff, he sets the layup. Easy points from Ward Huff. And P-Dubtown comes in with five. That's 50. And then the Agents of Chaos, P-Dubtown says, I'll do it on my own. I'll take us all the way there. Thank you very much. This is a good time to gift members because we're sort of at the tail end of a talk show and that's when the most loyal audience is here. A little too slow, X-Cal, going for the Agent of Chaos, single gifted, taking us to 52. Thank you so much. I love Xbox, says world-renowned Geohound. 
But quite a few of these Xbox podcasts go to discussing levels of eviscerating others' character. You remember that IGN girl getting brutalized for her Starfield take. Yeah, I'm not trying to say one side does it does it more than the other, but I've I don't think I've ever seen the PlayStation guys going to the degree of slander and personal attack and personal defamation that gets hurled at me. I or or what gets hurled at like MBG. It's just like I don't get it. It's like so because so because he has a negative bent towards Xbox. I went back and looked at his channel, and I feel like he and I would commiserate so much on the idea of we had all these hopes in Xbox and we didn't get what we were hoping for. And instead of lying about that or faking it or pushing through and acting like no, that's not a big deal, we have we have turned on the brand that we loved and said you have failed. You have failed me, and I'm not going to sit here and act like that's okay. I'm not going to say, yep, that's fine. Yay, green. Yay, Game Pass. Yay, Xbox. I'm going to say, no, I don't approve of this. I don't like this. I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to praise this. PlayStation guys have 100% done that. They've harassed plenty of devs and people. I've not seen the guys I follow doing that, or I wouldn't follow them, Cliffo. The minute somebody makes it personal and toxic, I don't follow them. I've, I've unfollowed a couple of PlayStation guys for that reason. They were smaller, only a couple hundred followers. They weren't, like, making content, but they were just nasty. They were filling my timeline with nastiness, and I just unfollowed them. I was like, no. If you ever come at me with it, I block you. They never came at me, but I just they were putting out nastiness into the ether, and I was like, I don't want to see that on my timeline. Yeah, they constantly go after Dreamcast guy. They make fun of his 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 complexion because he obviously has issues with his skin. A lot of times you can't do anything about that, like whether or not you have acne or skin issues on your face. A lot of the times you can't do anything about that. They constantly do that to that guy. Do we know where he is in life? Is he does he does he live alone? Is he isolated? Is he happy? Does he have mental health problems? Does he have history of mental health problems? Right? Does he? I don't know. How, how close can somebody be to the edge and nobody knows it? Right? You don't know how close somebody is to the edge. So you want to have a go at them and you want to make fun of them and you want to call them all these terrible things. Thrash isn't nasty. I've not seen King Thrash go after people and defame them and slander them. I've seen him... I've seen him defend himself. Right? He said, you know, Ackman fills his movies and his videos in his grandmother's living room. (laughs) Um, I mean, I just, I've never seen him go after somebody to the degree that people have gone after me. They try to get a lot of Pierce fired. They? You mean one weirdo on Twitter? Not a single one of the PlayStation guys I followed supported that BS. That was one weird guy on Twitter who, who, for all intents and purposes, could be a guy just doing it for attention and doesn't even really believe it. Just some weirdo. Like, there was not some movement. Were there videos? Were there podcasts? Were there tweet threads? Were there people retweeting it and saying, yes, I support this? Were there? Because I've seen guys with big outlets, with guest spots on Xbox podcasts, doing that to me. 
endorsing slander and defamation and lies about my past. I've seen them doing that. I didn't see a single person with the platform backing, oh yeah, Alana Pierce should lose her job. It was some troll idiot. And everybody turns into PlayStation fans calling for Alana Pierce to lose her job. No, it was one idiot. It was one idiot. Nobody with the platform supported that. Everybody I followed retweeted that and said, this is garbage. We don't support this. No, I don't think the majority of Xbox fans want to get me fired. Listen to what I said. There are people with platforms. There are people with reach. There are people with followings who have endorsed, retweeted, subtweeted, latched onto defamatory, slanderous claims about me that are not true because they don't have integrity. They lack character. They make it personal. I never made it personal with any of these people. Never made a video about them. Never, never went on the attack. I've not responded to any of these folks. I haven't. I've not even responded to them on Twitter. I just blocked them. I'm like, nope. I, once you get on that toxic wavelength, I don't want anything to do with you. I, I don't want to contribute to your impressions. I don't want to contribute to your footprint on the internet. You know what also has never happened to me? It's amazing. Anytime I've been critical of PlayStation, I don't get viciously attacked. It's it's like, it's so weird. It's so weird. Every time I've, I've, I've been critical of PlayStation, I've never been viciously attacked. It's just bizarre. Performance mode in Final Fantasy 16, the Last of Us PC port, the PlayStation showcase. Never been viciously attacked for that coverage. Never been... Never been clipped out of context and misrepresented and put in a salt video. Never happened. It's weird, isn't it? It's just, it's just, just weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like It's like one side gives me the freedom to, to be critical if I want. Oh, they're not getting me down, Fathom. I went on a full-on rant and almost like a sermon on nobody considers the ramifications of what they're doing when they're constantly attacking, name-calling, and misframing people. What it does to somebody's mental health. Homies, I've been there. I've gone through this for years. It is absolutely anxiety-inducing. It is trauma-inducing. Post-traumatic stress symptoms will get triggered the minute I start going down that lane because I've been absolutely publicly maligned, eviscerated, and misrepresented for years. And so all it takes is a couple of tweets and a couple of people with reach saying stuff about me that isn't true. Think about what that would do to you. What would that? What, how would that make you feel? Somebody suddenly threw your picture up and was like, "Yeah, this guy is a." And think of the worst thing they could say. Think of something like that's a reputation demolishing, and then thousands of people see it and retweeted it. Yeah, that guy. What would that do to you? So that's why I've been saying a lot of these, a lot of these content creators live very isolated lives, and nobody considers what might happen if you keep if you keep doing this to people if you keep 
clipping them and making fun of them and satirizing them and mocking them and name calling and misframing and misrepresenting that's destabilizing to a person even the most stable person gets destabilized by a false accusation imagine going into work and your boss sits you down and says we have reports that you've been stealing from the company you would immediately be destabilized you would be all what the like your heart rate would increase your blood pressure would go up you would feel almost like what what's going on what happened i've not stolen anything i've not done that you would be scared there would be you'd be feeling all these instinctive things to like defend yourself what do you, what do you think happens when when somebody on a grand scale is misrepresented and lied about misframed mislabeled what do you think that does to them you think they just look at it as oh though just that's just harmless internet trolling <laughs> they've lost it paris Paris says on Twitter, review bombing Starfield is why, in my opinion, the scores have become pointless. We all know it's a great game, but seeing folks go out of their way to buy it on Steam, leave a bad review, and immediately refund it because they think it helps win the video games war? There's no evidence that people are doing that. One random guy on Twitter, who was clearly like a pony account, said he was going to do that. that. There's no evidence that people are doing that. You can buy it and leave a negative review. However, it will not be shown to anyone or count toward the overall reviews on Steam when you refund it. (laughs) According to Steam's own website, if you buy a game, refund it, you, you buy a game, give a negative review, and refund it, it doesn't count in the overall review score on Steam. Like, like, absolutely hilarious. But again, again, let's just run with the false narrative. Let's just astroturf. Why is Starfield score low on Steam? Just make up whatever you want and people will believe it. Let's get in review bombed. Why? Well, somebody I saw in respect with the platform said it was. Someone should make a community note for that. 100% his tweet should have a community note on it. I agree with you. I agree with you. Paris's tweet should have a community note on there. You can't do that. You cannot buy a game, review it, and refund it, and have it count toward the overall score. That should have a community note. Because that's spreading misinformation. You're The public is being misled by that tweet. Like I said, this all goes back to Cyberpunk. This is all related. You got to start to lift up the people in the outlets that are committed to truth and committed to accuracy, not getting early access and getting in good with publishers and getting in good with platforms and running with narratives. You got to start to create that dividing line because I'm not going to create it for you. 
I'm not going to go out here and call out people and be like, don't support that channel or that channel or that channel or that channel. I'm going to say, this is the standard I adhere to. This is what I do. I'm not beholden to a company. I'm not beholden to a platform. I'm not worried about doing the right thing or saying the right thing or getting codes or not getting codes. I'm not worried about running narratives or astroturfing. I don't get DMs from companies when bad news is coming down the line. I don't get any of that. So find people that are in that category and lift them up. It will naturally diminish the pool of people that are doing the opposite. That pony did it though. His reviews counted. According to Steam's own website, it didn't count. It says you can buy it and leave a negative review. However, it will not be shown to anyone or count toward the overall reviews on Steam when you refund it. How do you know his how do you know it counted toward the overall score? The game has 58,000 review scores. You think that people are able to they're able to do that? What army of people do you think did that? So you think that an army you would need if with 58,000, I would need a mathematician to help me with this. When the game first released on Steam and came out of early access, there were 12,000 reviews day one, and it had an 86%. It's currently sitting at a 75 regionally, 71% globally. Right? Okay? So, how, so you got 58,000 now, and you got 12,000. How many of those reviews are legitimate and how many are review bombs? You'd have to ask that question first. You'd have to say, okay, there are negative reviews in the 58,000 subtract 12,000. That gets you down to what? 40, 40, uh, 44,000? No, 46,000? Yes. If you subtract the 12,000, there's 46,000 reviews that have come from after early access so out of the 46,000 you'd have to establish how many are negative okay now you take that number and you have to ask the question out of the negative reviews how many of them are legitimate hundreds of hours 50 hours 30 hours we just went and looked at a bunch of them and I scrolled for a super long time I didn't see a single person that had refunded the game I didn't see it According to Steam, you won't see those. So I saw people with, you know, two and three hours, one hour, and they they hadn't refunded the game. So you'd have to add up all of those, and then you'd have to ask, how many thousands of review bombs would be necessary to pull the score down? How many? Out of 40-something thousand reviews that came after the initial 12,000, because the initial 12,000 were largely very positive. You would need approximately 16,000 reviews in order to bomb down to a 70% roughly, and they would have to be very low scores to do this. Do you see what I'm saying? It's math. It's mathematically untenable to think that like 15-something thousand people went to Steam to, to review bomb Starfield. What are we even talking about? That's There's no freaking way that that happened, and according to Steam, they wouldn't count anyway.
I have a degree in mathematics and finance, so I'm in the ballpark. Well, thank you. Pretty sure this isn't Steam's first rodeo. There is no evidence to support claims that Starfield is being review-bombed on Steam. Any tweet claiming something different than the image below needs a community note. I, you, 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 you should be getting community notes if you're out here saying stuff that just isn't freaking true. It's not true. <laughs> Alpha Pony had 40 hours in the game. So he didn't even review... How did he refund it? I'm confused. He got a refund after 40 hours? He played 38.8 hours. He gave it a 6 out of 10. I don't I don't see any evidence here that he even got a refund. I'm confused now. Why isn't Steam responding to those as well? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if I was Steam, I'd be getting involved. I'd be having somebody out there on Twitter being like, this isn't true. You you can't you cannot successfully review bomb a game on Steam. I've always said that one of the most reliable scores we have is Steam because that's the people playing. That's the people that bought the game. That's the best, the absolute best measure of a game's quality. Now, obviously, if it's a garbage port, like let's take Jedi Survivor, for example. Right now, let's say Jedi Survivor released and it was in the state that it is on console and it was in the state that it is on PC. That's not a great measurement of the game's quality because that is, it's running like absolute garbage on PC. But when you go to the Steam reviews on Steam and you look at all the negative reviews, they're not talking about performance issues. They're not talking about like the game's bad, the game crashes, the game is a bad port. They're, they're putting 30, 40, 50, 60, hundreds, 200 of hours. Look at the reviews. You can't substantiate that claim. If you're going to make claims, if you're going to make claims like that, you should have to substantiate them. That's been my point since the beginning of this discussion is you're saying before you've even looked into it, you're like, oh, it's getting bad scores because it's a port. It's getting bad scores because it's getting review bombed. Did you research that? Did you go and fact find and get information that led you to that conclusion? No, it's an a priori conclusion. That's what you think ahead of time, and you're just making the claim. You can't substantiate it because I've looked. I have tried to substantiate that claim. There is no evidence to indicate that Starfield's score is low because of review bombs or because it's a bad port. The reviews are from people putting in lots of hours. 
Team's gotten it wrong in the past. Look at Returnal. But that's different. Again, that was people reacting to the Epic Online store for co-op. They thought it ghost-installed the Epic store. Listen, we got to go to gameplay. I got to quickly use the restroom. I got to go really fast because I don't want this thing to hit three hours. Um, We got to go to gameplay. I'm ready to go. I'm going to show you guys what it's like to start a fresh, brand new save of Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty. Okay? I'm going to quickly, quickly run upstairs. I'll be right back. Okay. Let me just check something. I want to make sure that Phantom Liberty... Okay, I got disabled copyrighted music and I got the nudity sensor on. People were surprised that I didn't want nudity in my game the other day. It's because I run a safer work channel. Like, that's a brand... It's like a brand thing. (laughs) Like... Married with two kids. I'm not like, oh my gosh, boobs. Like, I I run a safer work channel. Too many Christmas. Here's what seems to have happened. He bought early access, couldn't leave a review, refunded it. Bought it again so he could leave a review and then refunded it. So again, the Xbox community lying to make a fake point. I'm so surprised that they lied to defend a video game. All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a link in chat, and we're going to check out this gameplay. I want to see exactly what this is like from moment one when you go to play it. Um, Let's do this. I'm going to put a link in chat. Guys, do me a favor. If you haven't already, smash that like button smash that like button how much time do I have okay I've got time 
And then make sure and smash the like button on the new stream when we get over there, okay? All right, click the link in chat. I can also redirect you. Thanks so much for checking out this video. Me diving into Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty gameplay. We are going to click the new game button, and we are going to skip ahead to Phantom Liberty. That's what we're going to do. It lets you kind of start the game at a point where you have attribute points. You're after the heist. Uh, They are going to be distributed automatically. So I am going to bring people over from the first stream this morning. We talked about, is this going to redeem the game? Has it successfully done that? I'm going to end that stream and bring folks over with a redirect. And I am going to be gifting some members as well because I owe you guys 10. 